Welcome everyone. Where's everyone going? Bingo! This is SNGP48. I'm your host, David Rad, former writer of Games Industry Biz, Industry Gamers, and Gamer Feed. With me, someone who lives in a place that has two seasons, too hot and too cold. It's my editor, contributor, and partner in potting. It's CSA. So, uh, anecdotally, uh, today I was sitting in my car at lunch because I, I don't like interacting with my coworkers. And uh, I had rolled down the windows for two seconds, and I was like, it is too hot outside. Rolled them back up and turned on the AC, and I'm like, I'm sorry, Mother Earth, but we, we, we can't fix you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Just go down while the, with the plane, you know? <laughs> I mean... The strategy actually is, like, as far as place residence, is to actually uh, run the AC uh, re really hard at night when it has to run it less hard and, like, to kind of contain the, uh, make it cooler for the day and then continue that cycle as opposed to running it during the day. Mm -hmm. But uh, but I will say, like, uh, where, where I am, where, like, it definitely doesn't get too cold, but, like, this summer it definitely has gotten way too hot and... Uh, yeah, like it's a, it, it is affecting even even indoors. Uh, oh yeah, it's uh, we are melting. <laughs> it's not just in Europe, but also in America. But uh, speaking of in Europe, you know, yes, we will be uh, talking about everybody's favorite Resident Evil game set in Spain, Resident Evil Four. Uh, a game that I hear countless times people saying like it's perfect, it doesn't need to be changed. I disagree with that. We're going to be talking about how that game is older than people think, uh, in a both a literal and gameplay sense. It's uh, it's not young. <laughs> it, it it is yes, it is certainly less young than uh, a lot of people think it is. But before I get onto that, I will just add about our patron again. Thank you to Cinco Boy Forty Two, our patron in multiple ways. Uh, for both helping to support this podcast in every way, helping to get me, me and two PS5s, of course, like uh, everything. So thanks to them and anybody who else who wants to support us for however much can go to SNGP or patreon.com slash SNGP. We appreciate any support and certainly anybody's listenership. Thank you much. Many um, gratitudes. And before, before we get into the main what's been lighting up our system i will have some brief housekeeping i watched some videos talking about the monetization in diablo immortal i frankly got a bit of a headache with all the details it's so obtuse and visually confusing which is on purpose because they want you to be dis disoriented and a lot of free-to-play games are like this but that's honestly not the worst thing about it there's also hidden monetization bonuses. Only eternal legendary quest items give gems that can be sold. And those are through a crest that you get before you enter a dungeon. Like You can get free ones that are just legendary crests, but it's the eternal legendary crest that you buy directly from the store. Those give you gems that you can actually turn around and sell so like that's a that's a hidden part of the game design in there 
And this is on top of, like, the stuff that's, like, multiple battle chat passes, odd treasure chests, so on and so forth. The whole game is just a baffling trap of microtransactions. Like, anybody who tries to argue on their side that's just like, oh, no, we just made a game and then just, like, inserted the monetization later. Just like, no. This game was made with its monetization in mind. It could not be. Like, it is just... Uh, it has been there from day one, and it is just completely rotten with it. We'll also say, like, I feel like the argument saying, like, oh, we just wanted to make a game that most people could play for free or whatever, like, that is not true. It is designed around basically appealing to the real top end of people, like people who want to be able to put in literally thousands, hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars in order to get the best equipment. It is designed primarily for those people, but it is also designed so, like, other people come in and can get that free content. Uh, because, like, that that's most free-to-play games. Like, most free-to-play games, well over 95% of people don't even put in a penny. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they help contribute to the experience. And also help the people who, like, have put in a bunch of money and have the best stuff, like feel better because it's just like hey like we're like look at how much better i am than than the plebes in this game like look at how much more cool stuff i have right yeah and and i mean the the thing that's also so egregious is that and i mean yeah it is just a money pit but it's also a poorly like a cheaply made money pit it's just reusing all of the classes and assets from diablo 3 um like yeah it's on a mobile platform so they had to like reuse they had to like redo controls and stuff like that but it's not even like a a new kind of game really like sure there might be a new story um sure like there might be new enemies and stuff to fight but it's just diablo 3 expansion pack what that you pay a lot of money for and and like they also lied about it and they said oh you don't need to like pay pay a cent to uh get to the end of the game that may be true but like on the higher difficulties yeah you're gonna need to pay some money to do like anything worth of value yeah definitely like i've seen the rundown of like how long it would take to like i actually found a uh, very good uh, youtuber named got josh strife uh hayes and he did a rundown of a lot a lot of it like you know very exhaustive details about all of it and he's he does a lot of playing in mmos and free-to-play mmos so like he knows all the tricks but like this game really goes uh the extra mile when it comes to like all the scummy monetization to be honest uh and it's the fact that like they specifically said you wouldn't be able to basically get buy gear that would make you better and that is true but what you can get are gems and in classic Diablo fashion, the gems are as important to your power as gear score or level. So, But putting that unpleasantness aside, Tuesday, why don't you tell me what's been lining up your system this week? Uh, yes, I played uh, a little bit more of Fire Emblem Three Houses. Um, I played... Yeah, I like I said, really digging the game. Um, there is... Uh, I can't remember exactly what point I left it off, left off on last time, uh, but since then I have um, progressed the story to an interesting turning point. Um, as I mentioned, I picked uh, Edelgard and the Black Eagles uh, because I heard that that's the most <laughs> war crime uh, centric household, uh, and I got to a point in the story 
where, uh, fun fact, this, this is minor spoilers for the story, but uh, there is a five-year time skip uh, wherein after you fight a certain boss, uh, the main character, Byleth, is assumed to be dead. Uh, they kind of show up back at the school, and uh, the entire class that you were hanging out with shows up there and is like, you're still alive, great, let's go finish our duties. Um, because I picked Edelgard uh, and the Black Eagles, that means that uh, now the Black Eagles have formed an empire and are working to oust any opposition. Uh, and <laughs> it's actually quite funny in that um, there are two major characters of Black Eagles that no matter what, no matter what house you're in, unless you are in Black Eagles, they will always, always, always be unrecruitable. Um, and those characters are obviously Edelgard and um, her bodyguard manservant Hubert, uh, who is a black mage. Um, in the beginning of, like, right before the first battle after the time skip, Hubert pulls you aside and says, Hey, I want to talk to you about something that Edelgard will never talk to you about because she's Edelgard and she's really nervous around you because she's madly in love with you. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, all three all three house leaders are heavily implied to be in love with um, female Byleth. Um, but that's that's beside the point. You're right, right, right. Um, also, fun fact, female Byleth is the only um, character that can romance all three of the lords uh, because there are no uh, gay options for male Byleth uh, that are the lords. But anyways, um, Hubert pulls you aside and says, Hey, uh, Edelgard's not going to talk to you about this, but it is something that's weighing on her mind. Uh, here are the families that helped us uh, five years ago to kind of attack the monastery and like get like make our first foothold in this war that we essentially started um basically all the problems in three houses starts uh because of the black eagles household so that's real fun um <laughs> um hubert says hey here are all the people that helped us um fun fact they edelgard's real not happy with them she's she's thinking that you know as soon as all of this is all of this war is over they're gonna start a rebellion to like oust her um because like the power structure of uh, Edelgard's family um, was, in fact, m like settled that unless Edelgard was specifically appointed the emperor position, she would never be emperor. Um, so that when in Black Eagles, there's actually a significant turning point in the plot um, before the five-year time skip, that Edelgard will say, hey, I'm real bummed out about something, I need your help on this, uh, will you come back to my homeland for the weekend? Uh, if you say yes, and you get this little cutscene of her and her father talking, and her father says, Edelgard, uh, this is an official crowning ceremony, I am willingly giving up my um, throne to you uh, to become the, empire, the emperor of our estate. Um, after that, uh, you actually do have to have a battle with Edelgard against her and her soldiers, uh, with you aligned with the church, um, and from then... After you do that, um, then there is a choice that says, hey, uh, do you want to side with Edelgard or do you want to side with the church? Uh, and I obviously sided with the church because I'm all about that blasphemy. Or I, I, I sided with Edelgard because I'm I'm about blasphemy here. <laughs> I, was about, I was about to say, you threw me yeah, for yeah. a second there. I was like, wait, what? Big, like... big fan of blasphemy. Uh, <laughs> all the seven deadly sins. Big fan. Um, but blasphemy is great. Um so after that battle there's like a little there's another couple battles that you do and then the time skip happens um so 
uh, Hubert says, hey, these are the families that Edelgard does not like. Uh, don't mention this to her. Um, but once, you know, the war is calmed down, we think we're going to need your help to, like, kind of keep the Empire in place. So it's very clear that I am supporting a fascist dictator right now. Uh, <laughs> mildly uncomfortable with that, but you gotta do what you gotta do to get those war crimes. Um, they, they prefer the term absolute monarch. Yes, to that, that is true. Uh, uh, you know, absolute monarch, uh, you know, the, the F word really, really kind of throws, throws people with the leaders that they're, you know, supporting. Um, I do really like the way that the story is written because before the time skip, there's like this meeting of every member of the Black Eagle's house kind of being like, okay, I guess we'll support you. Uh, there's one guy who is like, if I don't stand with you, Edelgard, I know that my family and my village will be destroyed. There's one person who's like, I'm signing with you because the teacher believes in you, uh, because Violet believes in you, and, and I feel like that's a worthwhile cause. It's a real iffy kind of situation. They're all like, I don't know, this seems real shifty. Um, after the time skip, they're all like, heck yeah, we're, we're Black Eagles, we're, we're cool. Um, but the entire bit is, are we the bad guys? Because I think we're the bad guys, and boy oh boy are you the bad guys. Um, the first battle that you do post-time skip uh definitely definitely hammers that in in that uh one of the throughout the first half of the plot you're hanging out with your dad a whole lot he is a mercenary captain and he's like hey i know that we've been employed by the church but i'm really not a fan of the church don't like don't get too attached to anyone here something spooky's going on at one point in the story he is murdered um after the time skip if you are on black eagles no matter what one of his students, who you could befriend and be best friends with, um, after the time skip, you fight her, and she says, I am here to avenge Geralt's death, Geralt being your father, um, despite the fact that, you know, you're hanging out there like, Geralt was my dad, I'm, I'm avenging his death too. Uh, it's a whole kind of fun situation that can get you, get you a couple interesting dialogue lines. Um, because... Uh, my Byleth is very powerful. Uh, she is currently doing most one-hit kills out of anyone. Uh, Edelgard is right next to her in that power scale. Um, I did not route her that way just because that was more of a side path in the field. Um, so I was like, alright, well I guess I missed out on this. Uh, but she did go down pretty quickly. Then after that there was a battle with one of the other house lords, and I'm real bummed because I wasn't necessarily hammering the A button, but uh, the three lords are Dimitri, Cloud, and Edelgard. Uh, Claude, rather. Um, this battle was with Claude and his alliance. Uh, once we, like, cleaned through the his forces, I was given option to kill him or spare him, uh, with the um, idea that sparing him uh, would allow him to, like, provide you with troops later on in the game, something like that. I really wanted to kill him, uh, but the cursor was locked on uh, spare him, and I accidentally hit A too soon, and I didn't have a save file from before the battle, and I was like, dang it, I wanted to I wanted to do some real heavy, heavy anarchy stuff here. Uh, really just throw the alliance through a loop. But sadly, he survived my wrath. Um, now it is seeming that uh, the last... <laughs> the last cutscene that I saw 
was um, Hubert and Edelgard talking, going back and forth with all the house names. And Hubert at one point is like, or no, Edelgard is like, Professor, you seem confused. Is something wrong? And the dialogue options are, no, nothing's are nothing's wrong. And the other one is, I don't recognize any of these names. And Edelgard says, yeah, you wouldn't. A lot has happened in five years. So that's kind of their brush under the table of, these are names of people in the Empire that you don't need to focus on. Uh, Edelgard is definitely going to kill him at one point. Uh, but yeah, um, I still like I still really like the battles. Um, I I uh, do like the way that it does um, weapon durability in that in this game I don't know if it's this way in other Fire Emblem games because it's been so long since I played them. Once a weapon breaks, it does not it's not destroyed. It's still in your inventory, so you can go and repair it. Um, there are also interesting rusted weapons that um, you can repair them and get better weapons that do have the durability. Uh, the reason I mentioned that they do have durability is because rusted weapons do not have durability. And I accidentally equipped one to Byleth, and uh, fun fact, I, I just never, I don't want to fix it ever because it doesn't have a durability and it is equally as strong as every weapon that Byleth has that does have durability. So it's just like, this feels like cheating. <laughs> <laughs> I will say for traditional Fire Emblem games, when a weapon runs out of durability, it is just destroyed and removed from your inventory. That is the way the classic games work. That is the way that Fire Emblem Radiant Dawn works. And that is why when weapons get below, let's say, 10 durability... I basically make sure to just replace them. Yeah. Like, I don't even want them on the character for the possibility that I'll use them and they'll just accidentally break. Because if they break and, like, they don't have any weapons, like, they don't equip some other weapon that they might have in their inventory. So, like, basically they'll be generally unable to counterattack until the next turn. Mm -hmm. So that leaves them vulnerable. Uh, so, yes, yeah, like, and that's another legacy Fire Emblem thing. I will say, as far as your thought about, like, how female Byleth, like, or, yeah, female Byleth, like, she can, I guess, rom romance everybody, uh, like, and it made me think of, honestly, in Persona 5, like, if there was a female Joker and, uh, and, the, and that character couldn't be gay, like, how, just how lonely they would mm -hmm. be. Uh, because there, there are just so many female characters that are designed around male Joker being able to date them, uh, like an absurd number. So yeah, um, yeah, that's kind of the nice thing that uh, Persona Three Portable, like, was able to manage is that I believe it's been quite a while since I played it, but I believe that you can uh, social link with every member on the C's team. Uh, they are not necessarily romantic supports unless uh, they are male counterparts. Um, but even uh, even then, uh, all the social links are changed to different characters, essentially, um, so that you're not necessarily romancing characters, but it is a fleshed-out enough world, and there is like enough of a cast to like kind of navigate that without having to uh, say the L word. <laughs> That is fair. I will say, well, Persona 5, it is much more tilted towards females, I think, just because so Joker could get yeah. them. And I feel like there's just a lot of things. Like, there, you would have to rewrite a lot of di dialogue if Joker was female, mm -hmm. let's just put it that way. Which is, which is probably why they haven't done that. 
but yeah, I will just uh, add add another thing. Like going back to actual Fire Emblem, like when you're talking about the different conflicts and whatnot, I will say one of the better points in both of the Radiant games is the conflict between the humans and uh, a- a- uh, animal races. The Beorg, which are the humans, the Lag- Lagus, which are the humanoid uh, animals. And that's probably one of the more interesting things about it is that, like, it just it deals with discrimination and hatred and things like that. And it's kind of been swept to the side at this point, and it was it was a little bit more prominent in uh, Path of Radiance, but it is still there and still a prominent thing. I mean, like, it was a it's a primary reason for like a major war that occurs in Radiant Dawn, but that is one of the better elements of it. But again, like, I am also just generally jealous about you talking about, like, how you make actual choices that matter in Three Houses. Yep. Uh, and it, to put no fine point on it, like, it do, that doesn't really feel like that is in Radiant Dawn at all. Like, the choices that matter. Like, other than, like, okay, keeping people alive. Like, obviously that's important, but, like... That's not really a branching story path, and like, like I said, there's one character who is pretty central to the story. But like, if you play through the game a second time, they can live, as opposed to in the first time where they always have to uh, have to die. And my thought is like, you know, yeah, great, like that's super. I'm gonna replay this game that takes dozens and dozens of hours again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and uh, that's that's the nice thing is that with three houses not being so stuck in uh, Fire Emblem's old ways, like. Having the characters be able to level past 20 without having to reclass them. Um, having... And and it's something that you don't need to use, but um, there is a um, time-turner kind of thing uh, that lets you uh, redo moves if a unit is killed, um, so you don't have to just completely start over a battle, because I'm pretty sure Intelligent Systems is aware that, like, with the goal of like keeping your army alive, a lot of people just say, "I lost one unit. Time to restart the map." Um, there's that. Uh, the one fun thing and a very interesting thing actually about three houses is that um, classes are not locked to weapons. Uh, so if you really, really want, you can be a crazy person and make everyone be an archer and give them all swords. You're gonna have a real bad time, but you can do that. Like, you, if if you really want to like build someone to be like a knight that specifically wields axes, uh, you can do that. Uh, if you want like your assassin to just special class in bows, you can do that. I know that I currently have uh, Byleth at like kind of a D-ish area in um, bow combat. But I still have her equipped with a bow. She was an assassin for quite a while and was doing pretty good damage with the bow. Um, they really allow for a lot of customization of your characters. I know um, at one point, if I never, ever, ever get sick of uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses, I want to try to do <laughs> a challenge run of can you beat the game if everyone is an archer? Um, and, and that's the thing is that Three Houses will let you do that. Like, there's no real like incentive not to. I mean that's cool. It's cool that there's that variety. Like, you know, again, totally opposed to old Fire Emblem, where every class progression is completely linear. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, <laughs> but and also your comment about like wondering if you're actually the bad guy. It makes me think of a 
sketch from a uh, old sketch comedy British show that was uh, a couple of characters who were members of the SS. <laughs> And one of them said out loud to the other, like, you know, I was just wondering, are, are we actually the baddies? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> uh, like, we, we have a hat and there's a skull on it. Like, <laughs> I, I just have this sense that we might actually be the baddies here. Yeah. Uh, and Fun fact, uh, when, uh, before the time skip, one of the battles that you do, uh, before that, uh, Edelgard's talking to you and she's like, we need a better name than just Black Eagle's class. Uh, why don't we call ourselves the Black Eagle Strike Force? It's like, that's not a good person's name. <laughs> that You don't want to be on the other <laughs> side of a strike force. The Black Eagle's Inquisition. <laughs> the Black Eagle Dictators Club. <laughs> yeah. The Grind You Under Our Heel Brigade. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I guess no big surprise there. Edelgard does uh, does not have a kind heart. Uh, Edelgard's a big fan of war crimes. Big fan of Edelgard. Uh, let's let's go commit with some more war crimes. Uh, war crime wife. <laughs> it's it's funny too because like you can recruit characters from the other classes. There's one character that's named Mercedes. Uh, she is in Claude's house. And, like, she's the nicest lady ever. She's a great healer. And it's like, oh, you're definitely on the wrong side right now. <laughs> I made you commit <laughs> atrocities all because you liked me a little bit too much. <laughs> yeah. I, I will say it's one of the great things in the original Dragon Age Origins that I like, that there are certain actions you can do that certain party members would be so horrified they would actually just leave your party. Yeah. So I um uh, I know that BioWare did something similar with that in uh, the first Kotor in that like if there's a character who's like bonded with a Wookiee, if you make the Wookiee kill her every time he's in your party, he'll just start attacking you. <laughs> you can never have him yes, in your yeah, party they, again. <laughs> yeah, like if you if you force the Wookiee Wookie to kill Mission. Yeah. Uh, I remember mission and her her life bonded uh yeah that, and you know that 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 makes sense but it's not surprisingly it's not quite that dynamic but yeah uh, i mean it's as a, as i'm just establishing it over and over again just like how much better and more dynamic it is than Brady. yeah yeah uh, but i will say as for me what's been lining up my system Got a couple cookies here I'm just going to knock out. One is I actually played a little bit of Knuckles Chaotix. Yes, that is the 32X game, the Sonic game that was exclusive to the 32X. It is a Sonic game in many ways, but it is also thoroughly weird in others. And that, firstly, like Sonic isn't in it, nor is Tails, but there is a whole crew of other people, including. Mighty the Armadillo. I mean, Knuckles isn't there. Uh, there's Espio the Chameleon. There's Charmy the Bee. And there's a Crocodile that I'm blanking on the name. But uh, each of these characters has slightly different abilities. And there are... they. Each character is definitely not the same. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, like, SPO actually has the ability to just actively run on walls and also ceilings, which is which is very good. 
but that pales in comparison to the absolute S-tier, most powerful Sonic character who has possibly ever existed, Charmy the Bee. Do you know what Charmy the Bee's ability is? Can they just fly? They can just fly. They can just <laughs> fly dash everywhere. Unlimited. Oh, that's so uh, broken. I, I felt like I was playing a hack of a Sonic game, playing Charmy the Bee. Like, I mean, 2D Sonic games tend to be very open to begin mm-hmm. with, but like, it just felt like I was going up to every corner of the screen. I was just able to charge through any any. Thing. And there weren't many enemies, but like just get to wherever the the goal was in the in the level. And yeah, like after I discovered what exactly Charmy was, I, w- I was like, why would you not use Charmy? Like he he feels like a cheat. He feels like a character that was hacked into a Sonic game. He can. I mean, he makes he makes certain bosses like also very trivial because like again like a lot of Sonic bosses are built around like dodging and being able to get in the right position to counterattack. But like for Charmy, he can just be flying all the time and uh, attacking unlimitedly. And the final boss actually made me think of like you know how Sigma looks in the Mega Man X games. Maybe you yes, don't. I do actually. Maybe you haven't played. Okay, good. It's like. Metal Sonic crossed with uh, Sigma. That's the final boss of the game. And again, just using Charmy, it's it's easy. I will say I had a partner for this. Well, I had a co-op partner. You always have a partner in this game because as far as like the odd design mechanics of the game, you are always tethered to another person. Mm-hmm. So... That is exactly what I want to deal with in a Sonic game, is uh, not going so fast enough because, like, occasionally your your other partner ha- has, like, a tether that you are always attached to. So, it... That was a baffling decision. Like, I was able to get around it with, like, my partner, like, who was just basically being SPO and making sure that they weren't snagging on anything and making sure I could just have unlimited movement as, as Charmy at all times. But... Yeah, just some. I mean, it's not a very hard game, but like once you get, once you unlock the special ability, which is realizing like, wait, I should just use Charmy, mm-hmm. then the game is surprisingly trivially easy. <laughs> and I mean, those old Sonic games like are act- are honestly a good challenge to them, but this game is very easy and very short. And it feels like it was just kind of an experiment that they decided to whip together to put out on a 32x. And yeah, it is. It's certainly interesting <laughs> and janky, but I will say, uh, I mean, I've ha- I've had worse experiences, but like, yeah, I can't I can't really say it's particularly good. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's unfortunate. I mean. I've heard of Knuckles Chaotix. I I know I know the alligator cla- the alligator character you're talking about. I can't think of their name right now either. Um, but I know that's where a lot of the weird like kind of side Sonic characters come from. Uh, yeah, I I had thought that it was a made up game for a little bit honestly because it's just so like I didn't think it existed. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like a fake a fake game. Uh, Vector the Crocodile. Yes, though. yes, that is that it. Is his name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Chaotic Squad. They occasionally they have come back periodically since then, 
uh, I think their first time coming back most prominently was in Sonic Heroes, where there was just a Chaotix team, which I believe was Charmy, Vec- Vector, and... Uh, who was the third, third person? Uh, Charmy, Vector, was and... Was it SBO? yep. SBO, the, yeah, SBO, the Chameleon. Uh, and actually... Mighty the Armadillo. Yeah, he's actually one of the bonus characters included in Sonic Plus. So, uh, but yeah, it, Knuckles Chaotix, a very weird game, uh, perhaps deserving as being the quote Sonic of that failed system. But uh, another game I played a bit of was called uh, Stickbold, a dodgeball adventure. It is a indie dodgeball game, and the campaign goes places. <laughs> it starts off as a natural, like, okay, you're the team and you're competing to win this year's dodgeball championships, and everybody's speaking like a Danish version of, of Simlish, because this was a Danish studio, but they're not speaking Danish, they're speaking gibberish. Um but what starts out is that you end up like going to a beach and playing uh, and playing dodgeball like and having to fight against some hippies and then going onto an oil platform and knocking out a uh, a whale off of the the platform and then get, and then going and then like going to hell and finding the devil like it goes to some really odd places frankly uh, before go- turning all the way back around and having a uh, final dodgeball tournament for the championship, and uh, and there's, I mean, it it is just a dodgeball. It's perfectly fine dodgeball. You can uh, put English on some sh- uh, shots. You can pass to your partner, but there's also usually like some other elements that are in play, like the final level. There is a hot dog vendor who will. Uh, occasionally be offering hot dogs that you can also pick up and also throw like a hot, uh, like a uh, dodgeball. There, there are often other detritus that falls on the field, but I think one of the key things is that is that while you can stun people with other items, like you, like your second hit has to be with a dodgeball to actually knock a person out and, and get that point. So, hmm, seems strange. It, it is strange, like, it is, uh, I mean, it, it, it is, it is dodgeball, what, what do you want? Like, I mean, you, like I said, you're, with some games are just playing conventional dodgeball, like, it feels like for the campaign, they thought, like, you know, nah, this is just too boring, so, like, there's also levels where you're, uh, just fight, fighting against, uh, hippies that are trying to attack your, uh, some inflatable, toys that are on the beach so you have to like throw shells at them to make it to make them go away or <laughs> it's i i don't know that this game moment. will ever sound normal <laughs> yeah it, uh, i i don't think it can be it is it is not a normal game but it is a uh, it is certain it, it is certainly a game uh, <laughs> legally it has to be considered a game yeah, like with all that other weird stuff, it couldn't be anything else. Not as good as Super Dodgeball, but it is trying to do a little bit more than than just Dodgeball in some ways. But 
Anyway, what else has been lighting up your system this week, Tuesday? Uh, yes, uh, Into the Breach uh, recently got an update. Um, so I played quite a bit of that lately. Uh, I believe last year I mentioned that it was one of my favorite games that I played last year. Uh, they added five new uh, mech squads, uh, as well as a whole bunch of new enemies, a whole bunch of new mission types, and a whole bunch of new weapons. Uh, so it's a pretty significant update. Uh, it is free as well, so that's pretty awesome. Um, I The mech squad that I have played around most with, it is a squad that... There's an interesting effect in Into the Breach uh, that is smoke that will um, cause any enemy or unit that you are in uh, to block for if they are in smoke they can no longer attack. Um, one of the mech squads that existed in the base game heavily relied on this and relied on causing damage with smoke. This uh, mech squad, Mistwalkers their name is, um, relies also on providing smoke but instead of using it to damage enemies, they use it to heal themselves, uh, which was a pretty interesting gimmick at first. I thought, this I don't know how this will work, but we'll see what it happens with. Um, there is a, um, a unit that can take control of any unit uh, and move them a short distance. Uh, that can be used to either heal your mechs or to put enemies into the line of fire of other enemies. Uh, there is a unit that will drop smoke and damage one tile. Uh, they'll drop smoke on the sides of the tile that they damage. And there is one mech that uh, kind of has a slingshot effect, where the enemy that is behind them uh, will take damage proportionate to how far away that mech rockets away from them. Um, it is useful to have a pilot in that. There is one pilot named Abe Ishamal, uh, who provides a shield from any damage, uh, for each turn, um, so if you have Abe in, a me in that mech, um, that mech does take damage with that attack, so it's kind of, the idea is to uh, pilot that mech into a cloud of smoke so that you can negate that damage. If you put Abe in that mech, it doesn't take damage at all. It becomes ridiculously overpowered. Um, the more you upgrade the move uh, of, the, of that attack, the more damage is done to an enemy. Uh, the last run that I did with that, with the Mistwalkers, had that, uh, I, I like to call it the Slingshot mech, um, I use it primarily as the damaging mech, um, the last run that I had it at had a range of five spaces, uh, most of the enemies cap out at six health, uh, so that became insanely good, <laughs> um, I don't, it's interesting because the game does kind of like pick which unit is um, the most damaging of the mechs. Uh, the one, obviously, every mech has two um, weapon slots. The one weapon slot, every mech also comes with a gimmick. Uh, there, the mech that shoot that damages a tile and puts up smoke on each side of it. Uh, that one is supposed to be the leader just because it can provide you with that healing support and it can also provide with immediate damage uh, that you can upgrade as well. You can upgrade how much smoke is dropped too so that you can negate more enemy attacks and you can also upgrade how much damage is done as well as um, providing more fire to that tile so that enemies take more damage over time. I rarely use that mech for 
uh, just primary damage, just because the slingshot mech is so strong, especially when you have Abe as the pilot there, because there's just no damage that can be taken with that. It's ridiculously good. I am in love with that squad. I haven't really tried out any of the other squads just yet. One thing that I did like is that um, in the custom squad, uh, there are the base game had eight squads in it uh, with plus two. And by plus two, I mean that there was a random squad that would just pick three of any mechs uh, that you have unlocked. And there was a custom squad where you could pick what mechs you wanted. Um, the custom squad had a goal to beat the game with any, with three flying mechs. Uh, the problem with that in the base game is that there was only one mech that could ever do damage. Uh, that ha was a flying unit. So that became very difficult to do. With the slingshot mech being a flying unit, problem solved. <laughs> I, I finally got that achievement after like a couple years of playing the game and really, really, really wanting to just get that one. Um, and, and it's just, again, the slingshot mech is just so ridiculously good. It's it's great. Um, as far as the Mistwalkers go, each mech squad has uh, three little achievements that get you a coin to unlocking more mech squads. I am right now working towards the Secret Squad, which is just a group of the main antagonists of the game, the Vec, the Insect, Kaiju. Um, they cost, I believe, like 25 coins. Right now I have... Uh, six. I was able to unlock almost every squad uh, from the get-go, just because I had been playing for so long and had so many coins already. Um, as far as the Mistwalkers go, I have two of those achievements already. Um, one of them was to drop a certain amount of smoke on each tile for each battle. It was like, put ten... or no, it was heal twelve times on an island. Uh, I was able to do that real quickly, uh, because... If every smoke cloud you drop heals your unit, if any unit takes damage, you can just pop them in there. Great. Uh, making it per island instead of per battle was really easy too, just because if you're using the slingshot mech that much, you can just use the attack to get them into a cloud of smoke. So I used that. Um, another achievement was to do 4 damage with the slingshot mech. Now that I'm doing 5 damage, easily cleared that. The last achievement is to move um, a unit with the mind control mech a certain amount of spaces uh, over the course of an entire game. It's 120 spaces. Um, that is easily doable as well because every upgrade for that mech uh, increases the range that you can move that uh, unit along with. Uh, it doesn't have to be enemy units. It can be friendly units as well. So if a unit is like hurting for it and you have some smoke, you can just pop them there. Um, that's a really fun squad. There is one that uh, I know relies on like terraforming and uh, creating cracks and tiles and dropping enemies off the map. There is one that relies a lot more on pushing and fire effects um, that any other squad has done before. That seems like it's going to be the most technical squad of this batch. Um, but so far I'm really enjoying this update. Um, uh, I, as always, I, I really like these roguey games. Um, really glad that this, uh, came out. This was just, like, announced a month ago, too, so obviously they had been working on it, so. I haven't unlocked any of the new pilots yet, but I, I hear that they have some pretty cool stuff to go around as well. I will say, as soon as you started mentioning the whole thing around smoke and whatnot, my mind immediately went to 
uh, Shin, Shinji using uh, Unit Zero One to shoot shoot Chad Michelle with the pallet rifle and causing a lot of smoke to blow yep. up, and so that was my immediate thought, like. Like, like no Tuesday. Like you know, you've you you've, you've just obscured it in smoke. Uh. Yep, you. That's that's the fun thing, and it almost feels like it's a reference to Ava that way. And that like, if if an enemy is hanging out in smoke, they can't attack. You can't attack. It's. I mean, like that's that's kind of how smoke is used in combat. But it's uh, mechs in a smoke setting, and there are giant bugs. Yeah, it feels like there can be enough of a connection. <laughs> yeah, I mean, is it a giant cephalopod with uh, two whips of light? Uh, then, uh, if the answer was yes, then yes, it is definitely making an even. <laughs> no, reference. Uh, but um, there are enemies that uh, do have cephalopodic uh, shapes to them. <laughs> I see. I see. So. So I, I remember you asking me for different suggestions as far as like names for uh, different me- mechs. This was like last year, and I think I suggested Mommy Metaphor for one of them. I'm uh, so bummed that that's, that's too long. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, like, like I am actually curious. Like, how? Like, are any of the mechs like actually Eva-esque in proportions? Um, or kind of yes, kind of no. Um, the first mech squad that you use, um, just the basic mech squad, the first, um, the, the primary damage dealer in that is a bipedal, um, kind of person-like unit. Uh, it is not necessarily, like, a one-to-one reference. Um, interestingly enough, uh, one of the units uh, in one of the later squads is just literally, and I mean very literally, copy-pasted Metal Gear Rex. Uh, like, <laughs> I, I don't know how they haven't been sued by Konami uh, Metal Gear Rex. <laughs> um, like, is one arm a radome and the other arm is a railgun? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to look this image up and find it for you and send it to you, and okay. you're just going to say, that's straight up Metal Gear Rex. Um. <laughs> because, I mean, the reason I mention that is because, like, quite literally for Rex, like, wh- one arm is a radome and one is a uh, railgun. And if you have that, then, like, well, like, you're most of the way there to Metal Gear Rex, frankly. Yep. Yeah, that's the thing, is that, like, it it has the railgun. As far as that uh, squad goes, that's the primary damage dealer. Uh, and that, like, it has, like, this long-range uh, laser that will, like, damage will degrade, will degrade over um, the over the distance that it's used. Um, but, like, the primary, like, first couple units, it hits for, like, three or four. I just sent you uh, the wiki page of the laser mech for uh, from Into the Breach. It's a teeny tiny picture, but that's just Metal Gear Rex. Yes, you you are very right in that. Well, I, I would say like the tininess of it is deniable, but yes, it looks like they designed Metal Gear Rex, and they were just like, you know, maybe like on the right side, and instead of having it be a radome, like add a little radar antenna, yep. and the second one like add two th- like make it not look completely like the same thing, like have it be deniably different. Uh, so yes, that. 
that that looks about that looks like somebody took somebody made a, a tiny sprite of Metal Gear Rex and then modified it so that so that Konami wouldn't come knocking. Yep. So. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's uh, that is uh, the laser mech, and it's it's adorable. It's teeny. All of these, all of the sprite models for these games are or for this game are adorable. I really love what they do um, with them. It is weird because there were five squads added, uh, but there were six color palettes added, um, and and like it shows you all of the color palettes now um, versus like what what you can use uh, because each mech squad has a specific color palette um, that if you don't like your um, the color palette of the mech squad, you can just change it with whatever you have. Um, six of them were added. Uh, and I only had so now I have two unlocked color palettes or two locked color palettes because there is the secret squad and there is uh, just this other color palette that I'm like is there maybe a sixth that was added um, I, I can't tell that there was I, I can only assume that that color palette is unlocked when you unlock all of the others um, but that's that when you unlock all the mech squads, but that's all that I can think of. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's strange. Yeah. I'm looking at here at like the combat mech. Uh, it's, uh, it, nothing looks explicitly like the Eva's I would say the combat mech is the closest, yeah. but I don't think, I, I don't, I don't think that's explicitly trying to knock on Eva, although it has some kind of lanky proportions, but like it has, I mean, it, its design looks as inspired by like BattleTech and yeah. other things. So, yeah, that would be the only mech that I could think of that would be close. Yeah, I mean, like maybe if you gave it purple and green coloration, then like it might look a little bit more like that. But it's it's not specifically trying to look like any of us. So, and most of the other mechs look uh, much more much more standard, like uh, like they're just walking weapons basically, mm-hmm. uh, or they're or they're uh, or they're uh, te- techno insects of some sort. Yeah, I I I know that a physical version of this game was released because I already own it. I didn't buy it, um, and I can't remember. But I think one of the bonuses was like a little pin of the combat mech. Um, all I want is like a teeny tiny combat mech, a uh, little toy, like just like a little desktop toy to hang on to. Uh, I don't have a desk at my workplace, but like. Just, just a little, just a little combat mech. There, it's, uh, it's such a cool design. Like all of these mechs are really nicely designed. I, I really appreciate the sprite work that they did for these. I mean, that's the advantage of like having these small teams being able to work on these games, and that they can potentially just be adding to them until eternity. And like these small updates, free updates, will often get attention, and it'll draw more new people in. And it's an interesting. Uh, cycle the way the way that works now for certainly a lot of games yeah for me and what else has been lighting up my system speaking of roguelikes i didn't play one but i did but i did play one that was made by a man who's made one of the most famous of roguelites and that is super meat boy from the mind of edmund mcmullen you can tell it was his designs and everything, not just because it has that similar sort of new new grounds, like 15 years ago look, where everything is just gross, but like he leans into some of the themes that 
I feel like he would really especially popularize in Isaac. Which is like the main villain is named Dr. Fetus. So he's like a, a fetus in kind of, kind of a, a mech suit thing, in a glass mech suit thing. Uh, there is a poop-based character named Brownie. Uh, and one area has maggots everywhere, and the uh, boss of that area is uh, three giant maggots. So. Uh, fun fact, Brownie is in Binding of Isaac. The three giant maggots are also in Binding of Isaac. <laughs> I guess I shouldn't be too surprised that there should be some cross-pollination there. But yeah, like, there's also... I mean, there isn't much story in Super Meat Boy, though there are, like, cutscenes at the beginning and end of each level. Mostly cutscenes at the opening of each level are usually cutesy references to various uh, video games, uh, classic video games, which I appreciate, including Me uh, Mega Man 2, uh, Ghouls and Ghosts, Ninja Gaiden, thing, things of that sort. I think one is like actually like that I didn't recognize. Like is apparently the uh, the attract mode from Pokemon Blue. Mm -hmm. Like the <laughs> like some of the specific animations there. Uh, I would like I had to look up a something that specified what it was. But yeah, like there's there's a lot of retro references. Some of the warp zones also explicitly are like designed after something that looks like a Atari 2600 game. Some have the four-color uh, puke-green coloration of a Game Boy game. Some are designed to look like uh, NES games. Uh, it's really difficult to say too much about Super Meat Boy. I feel like its reputation definitely proceeded, but it's a it's a very hard platform. I, I would say, like, definitely popularized the, quote, splatformer uh, genre. Like, it's not as diff impossibly difficult as some, but it is certainly a challenge, like, as given over, like, just the basic trophy, which is, like, hey, get to the end of the game, like, only 3% of people have gotten oh, that. I hate so, it. <laughs> yeah. So that's speaking to it right there. Like, you are going to be challenged. Like, and I think for most people, I think they're going to get through the first area of the forest and realize, like, nah, not for me. Like... And, I mean, the basic mechanics are, like, you can run, you can, you have a, basically an accelerate button. I, I was going to call it a dash, but, like, you can hit it and accelerate in the air. Uh, so, like, you, you are, basically, that is the speed up button. Uh, and you can speed up uh, or slow down in the air if you want to. There, there is that, there is jumping, and you can wall, and you can wall jump, and those are the mechanics of the game. And you navigate increasingly hard, obstacle-laden courses to get to the end. I, I have done this. I've done a few of the warp zones. I mean, it is... Uh, uh, it is a huge challenge. It is one of those games that I feel like it's really best to take in short bursts because in my experience, like, whenever I got through hard level that, like, maybe I've died uh, a, a couple dozen times to... Like, oftentimes, like, I only have so many of those, and I'll be like, okay, like, it's time to do something else for a while, because, like, it's just, uh, it is a game that is demanding. Like, it demands your complete focus at all times, and particularly in later levels, they are asking you to do things where it's just like, it's not just wall jump between things, it's just like, okay, like, make sure you, uh, you wall, you wall jump, and you have to wall jump, uh, like, you know, and be going, like, 
let's let's say it's only a small portion of wall so you're jumping jumping up and jumping past in a gap of the wall to, to another area and you have to like maybe slow down the accelerator and there's like a uh and hitting specific uh, gaps between spikes and uh, excuse me and spinning blades and all these other considerations going up through fans so on and so forth it, it is simply put like designed to be challenging it is not and it's certainly not impossible like if i can do it i think most people dedicated can doing it like uh probably uh, could do it at least at least veteran gamers but like it is uh it is most certainly a huge challenge like all of the the boss fight so to speak since like you can't actually attack or just basically uh either running away or dodging a, bo a boss enough times or like causing them to like run run like a, bu a bull into a wall uh until un until it's dead the the final area like which is is very very hard but like it felt like a team took some mercy in that like you fight all the way and uh force the final boss to like you uh, you drop him into a pit and then like you have to run out of the level you have to run all the way out of the level they included a checkpoint right in there and i was like oh my god i'm so thankful for that because other like god like it it's already an extremely challenging level but basically having like okay you get all you get told this you defeat the boss and just like you know okay like you know now you, that's just half the level right there and it is half the level but you at least get a checkpoint so uh that that, that wasn't too bad but yeah had a uh, a challenging there, time there with uh, Edward McFarlane. Also, like it's worth noting in the narrative, I, I kind of got uh, a little off topic there, like in talking about the intros. But like at the at the end of every level, uh, there is usually a cute little animation that happens without any dialogue, and uh, I'm sure this happens in his Isaac stuff as well. But like he's very good at, at conveying emotions through like the very uh, whatever style of animation he is using uh like just the stylized like despite the fact that the characters aren't particularly aren't especially detailed but he manages to convey the right uh, like aspects of body language and whatever they are even if they're just like a cube of meat as in the is in the case in this game uh but there's also themes about like i know he had a traumatic childhood that uh came with like parents that were very into uh like evangelical doomsday cults and whatnot and uh some of the that those same themes are in here like in that like uh, it's not too soon before like you you end up go, like going to hell and you and you see like all the corpses of all of all the dead meat boys which uh implies that uh meat boy whenever he's coming back like you know like each one of those versions like you know is actually dead somewhere and then they're you know the level with maggots is just called rapture and just imply imply that like you know everybody's been removed so like it has all of those themes that he would explore further in uh, binding of isaac but they're kind of here aesthetically as well yeah that's that's uh very edmund mcmillan um especially a place uh place called a uh, rapture considering how much binding yeah. of isaac is just about the bible yeah it's uh it's i mean I feel like he has very much been open and also just conveyed like his he has put his like trauma in his childhood again like around his uh, like uh, the evangelical cults that he was uh, 
uh, in as a child, like into his mm-hmm. heart. So uh, it's still kind of fear, but obviously in a very different game. Uh, I probably will not play Super Meat Boy forever because that is a very different sort of game. A and B, I know Edward McMullen uh, wasn't involved in its development really. Uh, so it was it, like Team Meat was like a was like a two team development uh, thing and. Uh, and one and one of those guys may, like worked on Super Meat Boy Forever for a while, and the other Edward McMullen has been working on Isaac. Uh, so. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, considering that uh, Repentance is the last Isaac thing ever, and uh, is that took up a lot of his time. Uh, he was even developing. He's been working on Rebirth. Uh, then he started working on um, a game called. Uh, um, what is it? Is it Atomicats or something like that? Um, it's another rogue-like thing that he's working SRPG with uh, cats instead of uh, like Isaac and Bible stuff. So he also worked on instead of naked yeah, instead of naked children instead of naked yep. children. Uh, he also worked on Legend of Bumbo, <laughs> which is another rogue-like thing. He he seems to have an affinity for uh, rogue stuff. Yeah, so it seems. I mean, it's a it's a good method if you're an indie developer, like if you want to have more gameplay basically for less development time, like go, going the roguelike route is definitely better. And I think that's part of the reason why it's so popular. It's just like, it's kind of a development hack in a way, uh, just to, cause like, honestly, like having well-crafted levels, like that takes a lot of time, like very particular crafted levels. Uh, and I definitely think there's a lot of value in it, but I also acknowledge, like, hey, like, if you're, like, a one- or two-person team, you might not, like, that might not be the be- the best use of your time. It's just like, you know, hey, instead of doing that, what if you had potentially uh, a billion levels? And I think that's, therein, like, we we get the market, which is now oversaturated, I would say, with, uh, with uh, various roguelites. But, uh, yeah, I, I would agree. It's... Uh... It's real easy to make procedurally generated content. Once once you get that down, it's just endless. <laughs> yeah, it's. <laughs> I say this like this would have any have any effect, but I'm, sometimes I look at it and it goes like it's time to stop. Okay, it's time to stop. <laughs> uh, find find some other thing to over to, but. Well, the uh, final game I'm going to mention that I have been playing this p- past week has been Skullgirls Encore. <laughs> uh, this is the 2D fighting game uh, that is released on a lot of, a lot of things, but uh, it has gotten periodic updates like via the really up and down fortunes of the uh, developer, but they're actually still making content for, like, the new-gen versions of it, and characters are still coming out, so so bully for them. But um, Now, a, a lot has been made about the tutorial of this game. There is, in fact, an extensive tutorial, and uh, I have to say it is probably the best fighting game tutorial I have ever played, it covers everything as basic as like the normal tutorial stuff of just like okay do this to move these are the different attacks so on and so forth to dealing with like their hardcore mechanics like you know hey like here's how you uh, like if if somebody has 
done this much of a combo like you'll see they'll turn this color and you can hit a button and break out of that combo uh and definitely the hardest part of the tutorial is a part uh like they ask you ask to do a few combos before that but like normally it's like okay here's how you go into a launcher combo which is basically like hey one two three hits and then you do something that knocks them in the air and you follow them in the air and you do a combo in the air like it's like okay like that took a little bit i was like there bam fine got that that you know that's not too bad uh but then like okay firstly like i'm being asked to do like these five button combos these six button combos got that down and then all of a sudden it's like okay like in order to get like this infinity tri trigger that breaks you out of a combo like here do a 14 button combo i was like wait what no. like <laughs> yeah yeah it was a 14 button combo it starts in the air it takes you to the air three more times uh until it ends uh, that took quite a bit of practice. Like that, like honestly, doing that part of the tutorial was honestly the hardest part of the game experience. Like getting that down, because as part of the regular game, like I, I wasn't looking to execute a fourteen button combo. Particularly since like the windows for doing it are really short. Like the the game is very very fast by default. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I just had to get used. To, like I practiced certain parts of it. Uh, I, I tried putting it, like, just putting it all together, like, okay, doing this, like, because there was still the frustrating thing of, like, before I got it, there was a few times where, like, I got up to the final hit, and, like, uh, because, like, even if you're chasing an enemy into, uh, into the air and attacking them, like, you still need to be really on it, because, like, the game will drop your combo very quickly. So, like, I would be, like, a hair too late and be like, oh, no, sorry, that's not the cont continuation of the same combo. Uh, try again. Just like, well, darn it. But but I did finally get it. But it, what felt like the ultimate troll, like, after I did it, it's just like, okay, like, you know, you see you see that happen? Like, you know, now, now, do, now do it again. Like, and we're going to show you something else. I was like, oh, really? Like, you're going to make me do it again? Fortunately, since I practiced it too much, that only took me a few more tries to do the 14-hit combo again. So it's, it didn't ask me to do a different 14-hit combo, thankfully. Mm -hmm. so, um, well, that's relieving. <laughs> <laughs> but... I I got I got that and I mean like I did feel uh, much more familiar with like both hit girls in general game terms like you know what a hit confirm combo what that's all about like highs and lows mix ups like it's a it's a good refresher like it's a good uh, it is a good refreshing things of the basics uh, it, and it does like like I said cover all the various and sundry mechanics of the game. And they, there is also a tutorial for every character in the game that covers all of their special moves, basically. Uh, and that was also very helpful, as opposed to the usual, just like, a st like start up with a character, and it's just like, I don't know, bring up the command list, figure out what they can do, and try that out for a little bit. It gives some context for you to like actually test, test out these moves and being told, like, okay, like... This is how this character is designed. This character is designed as a grappler. It's designed as a rushdown character. This character is designed to operate at range, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, those uh, just bring up the command menu. I hate those kind of tutorials in fighting games. It's like if I if I wanted to read, I would just grab a book. <laughs> yeah, I I feel like this is still cited as an example. I'm not sure there has been anything made better. I feel like more like well. I, I'm gonna 
uh, take that back. I've heard they've uh, that Arxis has done some good tutorials in their recent games. I haven't played an Arxis game lately, so like maybe one of them has has a better example. I don't know, but I definitely feel like this was on the leading edge of having a really good tutorial for its mechanics and specific characters. Uh, and now, when it comes to actually playing the story mode, it's is one of those story modes wherein I felt like I got the context for like about 30% of the plot of what was happening in this world. So what the characters were doing and pursuing the, the, the skull girl itself uh, to be able to, because anybody who has it is able to fulfill their, their whatever wish they desire if they get... Uh, if they get this one spe special magical skull that apparently like shows up every seven years, uh, and the aesthetics of the game are definitely like it feels like I don't know like nineteen nineteen uh, twenties or so uh, a little bit like and the animation is certainly gorgeous, but uh, I will say it definitely feels like waifu fighter the game mm. in that most of the characters are designed to be very attractive uh very attractive females i should specify uh most but not all like and all the default characters are all female uh they i note that uh that miss misfortune sure seems like they're somebody's fetish uh, she she's a dark-skinned cat girl with an undercut shirt that has detachable limbs and a hat I, I recognize uh, that person. I recognize uh, there's a nurse in there. Uh, that's someone's fetish for sure. Uh, yep. Val Val Valentine is just like Valentine is just designed to be a fetish. Okay. Like Valentine is <laughs> is a ninja nurse. Uh, like she like she is just absolutely spilling out of her outfit, and all the animations completely emphasize that. Like a lot of a lot of low cut shirts. Like. Uh, and apparently at the time, like it was awarded, it was given some sort of award for the number of frames of animation. I remember that yeah. for every character, uh, and uh, and even as janky as like Guinness World Records are, like I totally believe it. Like there are so many animations for everything, and uh, and it certainly looks good. And like yeah, like though the I like depending on you and, and your your level of comfort and how much you like it, like they you know the characters like even in the game are fairly sexualized there's a, a lot in the like story art sections like they'll be i mean characters are wearing short skirts and they'll just be parts wearing just like oh well you're just you're just seeing what you know their their panties under their skirt like uh that'll that'll just be happening like uh and it's difficult to tell how much of that is the artist trying to do it or just reflecting the fact that like look what they're wearing is that long and at this page like you can't not see it so or whatever, like you know, where where does one begin, and one end? But, uh, I, like, I actually did like using Misfortune a lot because her big gimmick is that she can take off her head, and her head is an independent thing that can attack. And it's just kind of fun that like she's a like since she's a cat girl, like she has the usual sort of, uh, uh, like rushdown character character characteristics but like her head can like also attack and grapple grapple while on the ground and like add to your combos and like that was actually a lot of fun uh and also like one of her like her uh slashing attack one of the things she uh definitely says while doing the uh super i think is just berserker barrage 
Uh, so it's it's letting you know where the inspiration is. But Beowulf, who is a uh, one of the few men in the roster, and he's a professional wrestler, and he makes all of the wrestling references. Uh, and uh, and his his weapon is a folded steel chair. <laughs> uh, That's great. I love that. Yeah, which uh, he can th- he can throw at opponents. Like I mean, he he runs runs through everything. Like one of the things he can. Uh, get uh, get hype through various moves, which will like let him do extended ver like extended more powerful versions of moves. Like his his light punch is just like a an elbow move, but like he bring he brings his his hand up to his ear like he's trying to uh, trying to listen to the fans. Uh, and then some like if you if you hold that button like some some pirate will go off, letting you know that you built the hype. Uh, and like he he does everything like you know Wolf Amini is gonna run wild and you like uh, you know uh, Beowulf has uh, has you know Beowulf has come by come back to so so and so uh, best there was best there ever will be uh, he like the DLC characters in particular are just nothing but memes and references like the regular characters are a little bit more straight uh, he also does the John Talbane like. Uh, like werewolf, uh, at- like attack, like the like when Tolbin goes into it goes into a ball and like you know will will streak across the screen. Like he does exactly that attack. Uh, you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Like yeah, yeah. John Tolbin, the, the the kung fu werewolf from Dark yes, Stalkers. Yeah, or, where he like uh, rolls for, across the screen. For, yeah. Yeah, yeah. For reference, like he does exactly that, and he also he has a wolf pelt, and he will bring that over his head while he does that. So you you know exactly what what it is doing. Uh, I, there's there's also like there's a there's a robot version of Misfortune who has a completely different move set and uh, Robo Fortune. She she is also like nothing but memes. Like uh, she like. Uh, eh. Like at one point, like in the story, she brings out the keyboard. It's just like, okay, keyboard cat, I get it. Like, uh, like the one of the thing, victory things she'll say is, you know, no, what am I fighting for? I was just like, okay, like we're making a Mega Man X reference. Like that's great. I, I get it. Uh, so uh, there's a lot. There's a lot of references to things, shall we say? Uh, it's it is a irreverent game. It's, it's it's a video game. Legally, it must be classified as a video game. And as far as like how it goes, like I like or how it plays, I would best classify this game as like the subgenre as being kind of an anime fighter, uh, in that there's a ton of mechanics, uh, a lot of the, a lot of differences between characters. It's very fast and it's very combo heavy. Like um, for the people who play. Uh, Arxis games uh, like uh, Grand Blue Fa- Fantasy, like uh, Melty Blood, things like that. Like the, the way those ga- those games are works, like it very much works that way. And that's not necessarily inherently my thing, but I will say, just given the tutorial and uh, just the variety of characters, like even though like it's not the largest roster in the world, but like every character has a lot of affection put in them. Like even from like the character Peacock, who is uh, a female, a female character who is actually not uh, not, uh, not sexualized in the game. Uh, Peacock, it feels like a reference to like every 1930s cartoon they, they could possibly think of. But like she, uh, she's actually pretty funny. Like one of her victory things, like she'll actually bring out a, c- a cigar and say, "Ain't I a stinker?" <laughs> so put a lot of time into that. Like it, it's almost a. 
uh, I mean, I did like the system. I enjoyed uh, playing it, but like, uh, it feels almost unfair to compare it to something like Injustice, which has like, uh, like there's a kajillion single player things to do in Injustice. Like there, there is a story mode in uh, Skullgirls, but like there's nothing that that extensive. Like it's a, uh, it's, it's the unfair advantage that like uh, a lot of other real games have. But uh, but I still enjoyed my time with Skullgirls. Yeah, I've I've heard a lot of great things about it. So. I of course like sent you a few animations of the uh, the nurse Va- Valentine just from like saying like hey this is Val- Valentine is definitely the the most shameless uh, character of the game like when it just comes to design and animations and everything else so uh, uh, take that what, what you will like my my wife who can bite the beat up your wife <laughs> so switching over from. Something fun and enjoyable that has produced a lot of free artwork out there to something with a lot of paid artwork out there that people supposedly own and it's in the blockchain and who knows how you can retrieve it and oh god, like it's NFTs. Like <laughs> we have more news about NFTs because of course we do, because of course it continues to be a thing despite plunging sales, and of course like getting into this trend may be a little too late. Uh, Tuesday, why don't you get into us about like GameStop finally uh, do, doing uh, yet another heel turn? I think they've always been heel, but like you know, launching their NFT marketplace, you know, becoming double super extra heel, I guess. Yeah, uh, the GameStop boss celebrates the NFT marketplace days after laying people off. Uh, GameStop is doubling down on crypto, um, despite the fact that it's kind of falling apart. Um, they are celebrating the launch of their NFT marketplace on Monday. This article comes from Kotaku on July 11th. Its Ethereum-based depot uh, for virtually autographed JPEGs arrived just days after the meme stock giant rush ruthlessly laid off more employees. And based on the short tour through the website, it's broken. Uh, which I uh, can't really say I'm too expri- surprised by. Um, fun fact, uh, the... It links a tweet uh, from a reporter from Kotaku. Uh, they have GameStop just launched its NFT marketplace, and uh, the picture says, Explore NFTs. If you look on NFTs, it says, Oops, something went wrong. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's that you guys are doing NFTs. So, um, at, at the very least, it confirms that I will never buy from GameStop again. Um, Best Buy supremacy, despite the fact that Best Buy is pretty stupid too, but, you know... <laughs> it's it's nice to know it's nice to know where they stand. Yeah, they're completely leading into this. Like they're, uh, th- this is their complete moonshot. This is gonna save the company. I like not even going down into their uh, their actual old use use game business. Uh, and they did lay off a bunch of people, including some like I think a CFO who had only been there for a little over a year, like who had been from Amazon. Like some of the people who people were maybe thinking in 2021, like oh hey maybe they'll turn the pe- uh, the company around. They've hired actual people from Amazon. Like most of those people are gone by mm-hmm. now. So they are like the fortunes of GameStop continue to frankly look at, uh, either baffling or grim, or sometimes bafflingly grim. Uh, but uh, speaking of things that have been uh, baffling grim uh, and grim, like uh, the 
Oh, until Nobu Itagaki, like, you know, his output over the past ten years, which has just been uh, Devil Third. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that uh, terrible, terrible game. Um, which yes. I I don't think either of us have played it. I haven't played it. Have you played it? No. Yeah. No. Uh, we don't no. need to play it, but we know it's it's we know it's bad. Um, he's he's not looking to improve his record. Uh, he is announcing a new studio uh, that is making NFT games. Uh, it's called Apex Game Studios, uh, and they are making a debut title called Warrior. Uh, just Warrior, not like Warrior of Algroth or anything. Warrior of Ethereum, anything cool. It's just Warrior. Uh, it sounds the name Warrior sounds like it's some silly like game that a kid is playing in a TV show, like in a murder mystery, when the cops show up <laughs> and they're talking to the mom and they're like, "What's your kid doing?" And she's like, "Oh, he's playing Warrior. You haven't heard of Warrior?" And it's just, oh, it's so stupid. Um, the announcement tweet comes from uh, Warrior Game. Uh, they state, "We are beyond excited to announce the launch of the Warrior Game official site." celebrate our website launch of $50 in WTT, which I assume is a cryptocurrency for five random retweets and likes. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's... Oh, man. Uh, the Warrior Project is about to make its initial decentralized exchange offering, or IDO, and release the first alpha version, and a series of giveaway events are ongoing communities, according to the, a press release from Apex Game Studio. Uh, I read about this uh, on, like, I was sitting... Uh, a, a little bit before my shift one of the one of the days this week and I was like man oh man is this Itagaki is not trying to save himself no no it already seemed like his previous studio Valhalla Studios was engaged in some shady business practicing with like with who knows what like who knows how he was getting funding for that with like only one bad game released in, its enti- in the entirety of its history but this is just like, hey, like, let's just lean into crypto. Like, one of my main problems with crypto games is just like they really lead with the monetization part first, mm-hmm. and secondly, like they're just in complete gobbledygook, uh, like crypto speak, and that is just <laughs> like I, I barely can follow what exactly it is being talked about and it's just like okay like what it's like what sort of game is it is it is is it going to be fun like what it's just like now you can you can earn this virtual currency like oh okay like it yeah that's the thing is that like they're virtual currencies and games that those have existed forever but when you connect it to like the blockchain and oh you can earn money for it it's like why would i want to then like give me incentive to do it it's just like but you can earn money and and we'll earn money by by you are earning money. Yeah, that 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 is a good thing to specify. Like virtual currencies have existed in the game for a while, but like these are specifically like NFT games and currencies that are on the blockchain. So usually they're they're tied into various cryptocurrencies. But yeah, that and uh, this uh, is and, I mean yeah, games- this is a side thing. Is that like a lot of these crypto things are bad for the environment. Uh, that's one of the hesitations about using it in that one of the crypto companies I saw today who has announced that they are working hard to uh, stop global warming, uh, they had a factory meltdown that started a fire in a rainforest. It's like, y'all, this is the problem with crypto. Great. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Yeah, it's... 
every part of it just sounds unappealing. And there are some NFT games out there, and but like they're, I I've yet to see one that where people say like, no, this is actually fun to play. It's just like it, uh, it's all the fun of bit Bitcoin mining except in a game. Yeah, but, which is uh, not fun at all. You know, uh, though. Uh, he wasn't the only, like a much more famous person. Unfortunately, got attached to like virtual NFTs. Uh, Tuesday, why don't, why don't you uh, talk to us about the cursed reality where we're not getting Tony Hawk three plus four? Instead, we're getting this. Yeah, Tony Hawk is building the metaverse's biggest skate park for a new NFT project. Um, Tony Hawk has announced that he's entering the world of blockchain games. Uh, he revealed plans to build the biggest skate park in the metaverse in a partnership with Virtual World, The Sandbox, and NFT platform Autograph. Tony Hawkland will be a new space in the sandbox, which builds itself as part virtual real estate, part amusement park. I don't know about you, David. I know that this word metaverse is thrown around. Is there actually a prototype for the metaverse right now, or is it all just... Is it, is it by chance, maybe just a gigantic pyramid scheme? that, you know, has yet to uh, fully see realization? If somebody asked me, like, what I think a metaverse actually is, like, in a fully formed, uh, like, realization, I would say probably Fortnite. Yeah. Like, that's the closest thing to, like, a metaverse. Like, it actually exists. There's all these different differing brands that are in there that are interacting with each other, like, just because of the nature of Fortnite. But, yeah, like, that, that's pretty much it. Like, this whole idea of, like... Ready Player One Oasis, like that doesn't exist yet. At least, like not in a like, or maybe VR Chat, something mm -hmm. like that. But nobody can uh, like. That's not really a game. Like that's not really anything. Like like that's just people putting on uh, like Paul uh, Paul Blart mall, mall cot skins and uh, deciding to hip hop dance. Like uh, or uh, or just it's showing up as like a the the JoJo to be continued sign yeah. and having roundabout con continually playing around itself like that's kind of like the uh, that in and of itself that's kind of like what they describe uh, as being the metaverse but I don't think there's a lot of good monetization around that yeah uh, yeah it's uh, <laughs> it's kind of a bummer because like and that's the thing is that Sony Tony Hawk was kind of this like icon of like hey you're He's not young anymore, and uh, there's kind of a no. joke around Tony Hawk that nobody knows who Tony Hawk is when they see Tony Hawk. Oh man, now I'm I've 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 never been so bummed that like someone I don't follow has joined like this metaverse NFT craze. Like other other people, like if if for example some random country singer started doing NFTs, I'd be like whatever, I don't care. But man, Tony Hawk, why you got to do this, dude? Why you got to do this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm willing. To, I, I'm willing to give him maybe a little bit of credit that like maybe he doesn't fully understand the pitch of what he's getting involved in, uh, and uh, but but I I honestly don't know. Like looking at the pitch, it sounds like he's genuine about it. But like again, like who like looking at the at the virtual skate park thing that he's being involved in. Like the idea of it is not bad, but like again, it kind of comes down to just like well, why why did NFTs need to be involved in this and Eddie J. Why does the blockchain need to get involved in this? And that's like, again, for just the provability of it is a thing, like it is still lacking mm -hmm. in my mind. Yeah, and it's a bummer too because the little artwork that they have, it looks like it could kind of be a cool game. Like a little like um, voxel kind of skate game. That might be something I'm interested in, yeah. but nope, it's NFTs. So, immediate murder yeah. of interest. Yeah, exactly. Like, and for both of these things, I think it's just like 
it's because they can get funding from this. I think that's increasingly it. Like the the crypto bros with funding, like are willing to throw money at like these studios to like make the try and make these things, make a go at it. So like these these people are trying to various degrees of making a a, a good faith try in it. Uh, but uh, we're, speaking of uh, good or bad faith tries, like in a like Square is finally made good on their promise to like release an NFT thing. It's not a game; it is game related, but the whole release around it, like, just it practically a self parody. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they have announced, and this is another thing that bums me out. Uh, Square Enix is selling a Final Fantasy figure that comes with an NFT. Uh, paying an extra thirty dollar gets you an NFT that you may lose access to in the future, um, because you know, <laughs> and that's. Here, side note, before we get into this story, that's been the argument about, like, digital games, is that at some point you may lose access to them. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, with an NFT with a JPEG, you didn't have access. You just look it up. There's, there's no access to it. You just Google it. Um, but anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. Square Enix is selling a figure of uh, Final Fantasy VII Cloud uh, that comes with an NFT if you pay an extra $30 but it warns that the NFT could be useless in the future. It's already useless. Um, the Digital Plus <laughs> Edition is exclusive to the Square Enix store and includes exchange tickets to redeem a digital certificate of authenticity and a digital version of the figure, which can be enjoyed on the PC or smartphone. Um, the only, like, the only reaction to this I have is that, like, East 2 uh, on the PSP has this kind of like little uh, keychain thing uh, that like you can put a little keychain on the screen and it's like so are you just gonna have a little figure of cloud hanging out on your on your screen uh, that's that's weird um, it's kind of a bummer because the figure is looking cool like it reminds me of some of the cooler like 90s early 2000s kind of action figures of video game characters it's just like why well, you gotta like slap an NFT on there it's a perfectly fine figure that is uh, designed to be a detailed version of Cloud, kind of as he was depicted in artwork from the original Final Fantasy mm -hmm. VII. So, like, the figure in that is good, but, like, yeah, the NFT thing, it, like, again, it comes across as self-parody. It's just like, hey, you can pay $30 for this image of it, like, and you may lose access to it in the future. But it's just like, what? <laughs> Why would... Yeah. And you can't trade it right now, I believe. Like, they've said, like, hey, it has to be attached to this wallet, and you can't, like, trade it for value right which, now. Which is the thing that NFTs somewhere. are built off of. It's, it's, it's this virtual stock market thing of, oh, well, I have this monkey JPEG, you have this monkey JPEG, we'll trade, and our values will skyrocket, and yada, 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 crypto shenanigans. Uh, it's, it's stupid. <laughs> yeah, I... That was baffling and bordering on self-parody and uh and so on and so forth but i with all the with all of this various stuff going down it was relieving to hear what uh mo, mo yang had to say about uh, nfts in minecraft uh yes uh mo yang has uh announced that uh they will have no plans to support nfts in minecraft um, it, uh, they, the official statement is, in our Minecraft user guidelines, we outline how a server owner can charge for access and all players should have access to, to the same functionality. 
Um, we have these rules to ensure that Minecraft remains a community where everyone has access to the same content. NFTs, however, can create models of scarcity and exclusion that conflict with our guidelines in the spirit of Minecraft. To ensure that Minecraft players have a safe and inclusive experience, blockchain technologies are not permitted to be integrated inside our client and server applications, nor may Minecraft in-game content such as world skin personas, items, or other mods be utilized by blockchain technology to create a scarce digital asset. Uh, so that is a pretty pretty stiff no on the NFT thing there. I, I like that they are focusing on this idea of digital scarcity uh, because that's not a real thing. Um, that's just like a late stage capitalism uh, like dream uh, dreamed up by people with a lot of money or like a lot of fake money. Um, so like I, I like that they're saying, yeah, that's not a real thing. Uh, don't do it. Yeah, it's as I've said before, NFTs are all about creating a problem that didn't exist, which is digital scarcity, and then monetizing mm -hmm. it. Like uh, this, this is not a good. Like it doesn't add anything. Right. So, and I'm glad they're straightforward, and I'm glad they uh, took that that perspective. Like even in even if like Minecraft and its various spinoffs, like don't really have much interest in me. Like I respect Mo Yang and taking this perspective. Uh, definitely less inspiring is the uh, though like morally consistent perspective I guess you could say like was what uh, came out about uh, Epic responding to this uh, or Tim Sweeney in particular yes uh, Epic will not ban NFT games in response to the Minecraft statement Tim Sweeney says uh, his statement is developers should be free to decide how to build their games and you are free to decide whether to play them I believe stores and operating system makers shouldn't interfere by forcing their views on others. We definitely won't. Um, a store should a store should choose to make no judgments and host anything that's legal, or choose to draw a line at mainstream acceptable norms as we do, or accept only games that conform to the user's personal belief, Sweeney said. Um, this is obviously in response to the uh, NFT thing. Uh, he, I, I don't know uh, how to approach this necessarily. I don't know if this, uh, obviously, looking at this at face value, this is not them confirming that they are working on anything NFT or crypto or blockchain related. But I feel like this is a very, this is a step back. I know that people already don't like a whole lot of Epic game kind of content, um, just because, you know, Epic Games is annoying. Um, they are just, you know, this... Like, that's the thing, is that Steam has this kind of reliable system. Uh, Steam also said no crypto, no NFT, no blockchain, nothing. Uh, that's cool. Uh, but then Epic Games is kind of trying to do the same thing, but they're not as good as it. Uh, good at it. Uh, they have, like, weird restrictions on games that you can play and games that you can get, and it's a little annoying. Um, so that's, that's kind of weird. Um... And it's unfortunate. Uh, I am hoping that they are not planning to do uh, crypto stuff because that would create a definite uh, that would create a definite divide, um, and it would uh, validate the idea of NFTs and crypto, and that sucks. <laughs> yeah, it. Uh, like I said, this strikes me as morally consistent for Epic Games uh, and also for Tim Tweedy in particular that like he doesn't like. Like, he's never liked the threat that Microsoft had to basically close off uh, Windows platforms 
which Microsoft has never fully done, although they have opened their own store in the Windows Store. Mm. Um, so uh, it strikes me as appropriate, I guess, that like he basically say like, you know, yeah, you're you're free to do it, and cons- consumers will make the choice. Like, um, I mean, I I would like uh, a firmer stance, frankly, but like, I don't know, like I. I understand why he why he is saying this, like why he, he uh, you know, he, he, coming from his like he obviously has a very business libertarian standard on certain things, like certain things that one could certainly argue are self serving for Epic in a lot of ways, but you know, mm-hmm. I I am, oh man, I just I'm real glad that uh, it's it's the Steam Deck and not the Epic Deck because I would say all right, well, don't care anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're yes. Yeah. Steam has their own problems, but I I think they've they've already said uh, no to NFT games. I might be. Yep, they have. That. They've been like, nope, uh, that's okay. stupid. Don't do that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, and I think like there's there's really like a million other issues that come into like okay, but like money laundering. Yeah, money and, laundering. Like, I know that like a specific like game had to be banned on Steam because it was like dealing with gambling and i think they even cited that kind of case to be like nope steam is not a bank or a um like any money like money transfer system it is just uh buy games play games uh that's i that's their firm stance on it yeah like there and if because like there's there's a or their legal can of worms they'd have to uh, get into if they want to deal with that. They clearly don't want to do into that. Like they're they're just fine like taking a thirty percent cut out of, off of like however millions of games they sell every day. Uh, so they don't need to get into this NFT shenanigans. Along with like like what what if a piece of software like especially since they are such an open platform, what if there's just this piece of software that like side loads in something that like is just acting as malware and, like, mining crypto in the background. Uh, like, there are an open-up platform, like, that could potentially happen, but, like, you know, in doing this, that's basically saying, like, no, that that is not a lot of a platform, so I can... Uh, I'm sure it is for a self-preservation standpoint, but regardless, I am still uh, happy that, that, that they're taking it. But... Um, but s- switching gears to... Uh, the the real premium game industry that actually sells games that people want to say like hey what a novel concept we had the June uh, USMPD charts that have come uh, come out for video games and uh, sales were 4.3 billion which was actually down 11 percent year over year uh, apparently subscription spending is up. Uh, there are downs in other areas, including hardware and accessory spending, which strikes me as like, hey, it's still hard to get these systems. They're still very much in demand, and supply is not completely meeting it. The uh, overall spending for the first half of the year is $26.3 billion, a 10% drop year-on-year, year with the uh, subscription is the only category that is seeing some growth. Uh, for the monthly charts, Elden Ring is uh, uh, in first place. Uh, Matt Piscatella, uh, uh, analyst of the MPD, noted that uh, Elden Ring has placed first in dollar sales in uh, four of its first five months on the market, which is uh, completely insane for a game that isn't something like Call of Duty. 
bunch of other game like uh, Meyer Strikers Battle League came in uh, new at uh, uh, at number three. The uh, the F one game. This is actually surprising to me. Like uh, F one, I guess, has gotten more popular in the United States. Like it came in at number twelve. Yeah, that's uh, a pretty uh, that's a pretty decent number, I would say, uh, considering some of the other games on this list as well. Uh, specifically, the new games. Looking at uh, Mario Strikers, Fire Emblem Three Hopes, Sonic Origins, The Quarry. Uh, that's a good. The only one that's above it is Mario Strikers Battle League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was which was going to be uh, a bigger release, perhaps. Uh, not surprisingly, other and sundry news: hardware sales dropped eight percent year on year to th- uh, thirty one point thirty three hundred seventy one million, and declined 9% throughout the first half of the year to two point one billion. Uh, Skillsos said that PlayStation Five generated the highest dollar sales among video game hardware platforms both June and the first half of calendar 2022, while the Switch led both time periods in unit sales. Uh, and looking at this top ten, like firstly, like you know, Elden Ring like continues to be like it not only had an amazing launch, but it continues to just sell at uh, startling rates. Oh yeah, uh, like with Star Wars, people like that game. Uh, it's interesting to me that like Overwatch re-entered the charts, at, uh, the top twenty charts at number five. Like I'm guessing, all of the attention around the Overwatch two uh, beta has attracted some attention, and people are purchasing that. Though my taking is just like, hey, like, why are you doing this? Like, Overwatch two is literally going to replace yeah. it in a few months. A, B, that's going to be free. Like, what do you what do you do with yeah, people? Yeah. Uh, and as far as I'm aware, it's not even that they get like some bonus for uh, being there or anything like that for playing Overwatch One. Yeah, you're um, you're spending money on stupid things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Also, st- stop uh, spending money on Activision Blizzard games, but uh, that is a uh, that is a whole n- another issue. Another interesting thing here to note, like in the top ten. Uh, these are the Switch-only games that it, inc- it includes. Uh, we have Mario Strikers Battle League at 3. We have Mario Kart 8 at 6. We have Nintendo Switch Sports at, se- at 7. And we have Kirby and the Forgotten Lands at a, uh, at 8. So, like, that, uh, all of those games, like, in the top 10, all of them Nintendo published games mm-hmm. and one of them being mario kart 8 has not released this year uh those are that's still really good numbers for it yeah they literally released five yep. years ago so uh, <laughs> uh like other like other other uh, switch switch only games at least for console wise that like are on here like include monster hunter rise at 13 Super Smash Brothers Ultimate at 15, Fire 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 Emblem Warriors Three Hopes at at 16. Uh, oh yeah, uh, Pokemon Legends Arceus at 18, still hanging around there. So so yeah, like <laughs> that's one of those like hey, if you feel like if you if you are a person who's who would want more pressure on Nintendo to like release a more powerful system sooner, like I have very bad news for you. Like they are absolutely not incentivized to do that. Uh, along with the fact that uh, it was the uh, uh, it was the best-selling console for the f- first half of the year, the Switch was. Uh, 
in no small part because it's it, like you can actually get it, but like it's also like price wise, uh, it's it still has a good price compared to the compared compared to the competition. Like, uh, but you know, p- people are still picking it up. People still want to play these Nintendo games. Uh, the the Switch is doing is doing more than fine right mm-hmm. now. So, uh, especially with uh, a and game the certain- that we'll be talking about in a bit. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Uh, and and there's still like the second half of the year or two to come, like wherein they will have some more prominent releases. And yeah, like I I look at this and yeah, that that is my main reaction. Like that's uh, so. Uh, also, Final Fantasy VII Remake, like, I guess, came back into the... There must have been some sort of sale uh, that came back in the top ten at number nine. Like, that's a, that is a PlayStation exclusive. Yeah, either that or late adopters excited by uh, Crisis Core and um, Rebirth. Yeah, that, that's true. That's true. They did... There was a big announcement about that, so people people getting in on that, uh, which, which wouldn't surprise me. So, um, so yeah, they're... So Sony doing fine, Nintendo doing doing very fine. Uh, don't 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 expect an announcement anytime soon. My main hope, like honestly, like uh, about again, like the Switch Two or whatever it would be. Like firstly, like I would like it to be like completely backwards compatible, like all Switch things, and it would just be like a handoff, like a phone, fo- like phone systems do every year. Like when a new phone comes out every year, that doesn't disrupt the market. For like uh, like Android phones from like Samsung or whoever, or like Apple phones or Apple and their iPhones, like it doesn't completely rock the market every year. Like consoles are different, but still, like I would like for them to say like, hey, this is the new thing; it's going to replace this, and you're going to have it, and it's and it's just going to be fairly smooth. Uh, that that would be, that would be my hope. Like, uh, and I think that would be best for the consumer certainly, mm-hmm. uh, but. I'm sure there are they're putting a lot of money right now into making sure that like they don't fumble the handoff between generations uh, right now. But uh, switching gears over to the uh, labor half of things, uh, and uh, NFTs and Activision Blizzard news, <laughs> the uh, and death guarantees. Uh, from from SNGP to you, uh, and taxes though that we we don't, <laughs> but but we uh, some news came out of the former Vicarious Visions, aka now Blizzard Albany, this this past week uh, Tuesday. Why don't you give us that news? Yes, uh, Blizzard Albany, uh, formerly known as Vicarious Visions, is announcing a unionization bid. Uh, this comes from the Washington Post, so big boy reporters. Um, <laughs> uh, last Thursday, the workers asked Activision Blizzard to voluntarily recognize their union. Uh, I firmly believe that having the union is going to give us the power that we need to make our workplace better, said Amanda Lavin, associate test analyst at Blizzard Albany, in an interview with the Washington Post. It's very exciting to go public with it and hopefully be able to inspire others the way that we have inspired the way that we've been inspired by Raven and Starbucks and Amazons and all of the unions that have come before us. The worker's request wasn't acknowledged by Activision Blizzard, although the company did not specify whether it would recognize the union. Um, considering the fighting that uh, the Raven Soft 
uh, Union had to do, I would not be surprised if it is a road, uh, a, a uphill battle, rather. Um, but, considering that they are now a recognized Union, or at least uh, Microsoft is recognizing them as a Union, um, I, I, I'm glad to see it happen. I like, you know, I like workers being able to unionize, especially in places such as, you know, the nightmare-infested demon realm that is uh, Activision Blizzard, where all of your worst fears come true, and uh, it's somehow legal because shenanigans, money, um, but, you know, it's, it's good to see that workers are standing up for themselves. And, and they were inspired, uh, I imagine, largely by the Ravensoft Union. Yeah, yeah, they, they noted that in the article, that, like, uh, the, uh, th that Q&A team inspired this, uh, <laughs> this Q&A team to do this. Uh, I won't get uh, too much into uh, labor and why it happens as they do, but, like, it's not surprising to me in North America that this happened uh, at the Q&A level, since, like, those are the people that work, like, actually work, work directly in games that are the, uh, like, it's kind of the worst job in a lot of mm -hmm. ways. Like, it's the lowest pay, longest hours, lowest level of respect, uh, and there's often, like, like, walls both uh, social, vir like virtual, literal between them and the quote, real developers, but like they provide a very firm role. But yeah, like having that lack of representation usually, like and that lack of pay, it's not surprising that like they're like, hey, like we, <laughs> uh, in order to pr protect us from the capricious nature of the gaming industry, like we need to, uh, we need to organize for better, uh, better work, better rights, and uh, better wages. But yeah, for sure. Uh, Though uh, part of this, like this, also led to them uh, threatening and then actually carrying out a, a walkout uh, recently. Yes, uh, after political events that we will not comment on uh, specifically, um, Activision Blizzard staff walk out and protesting are mm -hmm. after protesting loss of abortion rights. Um, hundreds of Activision Blizzard employees are walking out Thursday in Texas, California, Minnesota, and New York. To protest the overturn of Roe vs. Wade and demand protections. The current count as of writing is 450 employees in person and online. Once again, this comes from the Washington Post. Uh, again, I'll note the big boy reporters. Um, the demands uh, of the workers who are walking out include a request for all workers to have the right to work remotely and for workers living in locations passing discriminatory legislation, such as anti-abortion laws, to be offered relocation assistance to a different state or country. Uh, employees are also demanding the company sign a labor neutrality agreement to respect the rights of workers to join a union. On Twitter, the worker group A Better ABK said the demand was necessi necessitated by union-busting efforts on part of Activision Blizzard. Uh, this is something that we have seen a lot in the past couple uh, weeks and about a month since uh, political events have shaken things up. Um, mm. I think that this is, you know, I feel like it's another kind of uh, hard road ahead for, for these workers. And I'm not saying that to be pessimistic, but given the history of Activision Blizzard, uh, and the treatment of women and minority groups there, uh, I, I, again, not to be negative, I don't know that this is something that they'll actually get. 
Activision Blizzard CEOs, uh, specifically Bobby Kotick, has been very negative towards, um, you know, progress for the workers and uh, has made comments such as, well, if I, if I could do anything, then, then if, if, if I can't do anything, then I'll leave. And he's staying on the board, you know, and, and all of these lawsuits that are panning out, like, it, it feels like not a lot is going to happen. Uh, and, and I'm a little, I'm hopeful that things change, but I don't know that they will. Yeah, it's clear that, it, like, among the ABQ uh, Workers Alliance, that, like, there's been a lot of organization there. It's kind of funny, like, how this is... The events are so horrible, like, it's actually forced the uh, lower-level employees to to do yeah. something like this, because I feel like they are obviously as aghast as anyone. Like, those who have chosen to remain, I'm sure... I'm sure, like, well, I know some people have been fired or let go or pushed out, and uh, and some people have left just simply because they've been uh, just uh, disgusted by various things. But like, that is honestly, I know that's going to be a luxury for some people. Like other people are going to remain, and uh, for their jobs and for various other re reasons. But like, like hey, I'm sure they are as sick of these things as possible. So like, yeah, like actually saying we want a seat at the table. Mm -hmm. Finally, like this is uh, like enough is enough. So I totally understand why you know. I totally understand all the, all these moves, and so, yeah, you know, it's uh, again like part of this ongoing story. Like, who knows? Like, again, like you know, the, it was the biggest story last year. It'll uh, be the biggest biggest story this year, pending some really ti Titanic change mm -hmm. uh, or, or thing going down that neither one of us could uh, properly anticipate. Nintendo right closes its doors forever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd be so bummed. They'll close their doors on, like, I can't remember what date that game releases, but the day before, and they'll be like, it's cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. And now you will never have Advance Wars 1 Plus 2. Uh, but, uh... Shifting over from that to another story from like the uh, the the Washington Post, like some some good game reporting coming out of the the Washington Post recently. I think they've they put more uh, emphasis on that. But uh, it, it, the announcement isn't from the Washington Post; it's from Sony talking about PlayStation Stars, which is a uh, free to join pl program that will give you digital representation of things that PlayStation fans enjoy, including figurines, beloved and iconic characters from games, and other forms of entertainment, as well as cherished devices that tap into Sony's history of innovation. Uh, these various digital collectibles, uh, they say there will always be new ones to earn, an ultra-rare collectible to strive for, or something to just collect for fun. Uh, the, I don't know much you, but my like my immediate like bells were going off for like you know oh god like is this some sort of NFT program? <laughs> but I was very very relieved to to hear like this is the best negative I've ever heard of saying like no it's not that Grace Chen vice president of ne network advertising loyalty and uh, licensed merchandise for PlayStation told the Washington Post, it's definitely not NFTs. Definitely not. You can't trade them or sell them. It is not leveraging any blockchain technologies and definitely not NFTs. All, all PlayStation All-Star members will have an opportunity to, to uh, turn loyalty points. The blog post continues and uh, points will redeem for P 
PSN wall funds and select PlayStation Store products. Uh, PlayStation Plus members automatically earn points on purchase on the PlayStation Store. But yes, going back to the quote by Grace Chan, it's clear that she wanted to get out ahead of that and emphasize uh, it is d- definitely not M- NFT. She she said she said definitely not three times within this a space of a paragraph. So, Thank God. Like, you know, like, you know it's it's yeah. a hard I, I love it when one of the big three just says hard no multiple times. <laughs> yeah, just like like oh they, like yes, like you know, it's kind of like one of those things like like with trophies, like for PlayStation trophies. Like those are the that's a thing that exists on your system and also connecting to the main Sony servers. Like could that be infested with the blockchain like yeah i guess they could do that but it's just like do they need to like i don't feel like they need to like it's already like you're not like it it, trophies are inherently personal to whoever Mm -hmm. is is earning them uh like they're not it's not the thing you trade it's not a literal like there's no monetary value it's complete sentimental value yeah. frankly like yeah and and i do appreciate it like i look i like looking at it and seeing like markers of games i played like what i did in them like you know that's great but it's just like you know there's there's no like monetary value to that mm-hmm. this is kind of a similar sort of program to that as far as i can tell yeah um, yeah like like you said the trophies are essentially digital collectible cards that like you can't necessarily yeah. trade, but it's like, hey, look at this one that I got. Uh, glad for that. I've heard uh, very promising things about this. I'm, I am excited to see what it will do. Um, if it is collectible merch and stuff, I would love to get like a resistance shirt. Um, that's probably the only <laughs> resistance thing that we'll ever see for the next, you know, I'll say probably ten years uh, before Sony decides to reboot it. I'm hoping not to reboot it. Um, <laughs> but uh, it sounds pretty cool. I've, I've heard... I have positive feelings for it. And, you know, it's a double... Those are doubled down by uh, no NFTs, definitely not NFTs. <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate that. It's kind of like how for... Um, uh, for, a, like, Astrobot's Playroom, which is the free game that comes in the PlayStation 5, like, which is a really fun, cute little game. Like, it's kind of a similar way in that, in that that game is just kind of a celebration of the history yeah. of PlayStation, both hardware and software. Like, it's just a, a fun little yeah. thing. Like, that's, you know, if we're talking about, like, kind of a consumer re- reward thing that is kind of like that, I'd be like, okay, that you know, that's fine. I'm, I'm fine with, like, little nostalgia things that reminds me of... Uh, other aspects of mm-hmm. uh, Sony's history in gaming, like you know, that's fine. Yeah, that's for perfectly sure. fine. Uh, now, uh, in other PlayStation news, they uh, announced that they have acquired uh, Repeat.gg. Uh, this company hosts leaderboard tournaments that are designed to make esports more accessible. It's hosted over 100,000 tournaments with more than 2.1 million participants. Uh, according to the stats, the stats they gave out, uh, Steve Roberts, vice president of global competitive gaming at Sony Interactive Entertainment, says, "At PlayStation, our vision for esports has always been about breaking up barriers for gaming's competing at all levels." Together with the Repeat team, we're trying to explore more ways for players to engage in competitive gaming and expand the breadth of our esports offering. Uh, the Repeat uh, GG CEO Aaron Fletcher said, 
We were designed to enable new players to uh, enable new tournament formats that are easy to enter and scalable to millions of players. We are thrilled to join the PlayStation team and enhance the variety of tournament experience players can enjoy regardless of their skill level. Recharge GG will continue to feature games on outside of PlayStation, including mobile PC and, and other consoles. Uh, yeah, they uh, other moves. Uh, this news coming out of GamesIndustry.biz, uh, as noted, like in March of last year, uh, Sony purchased the Evo Fighting Tournament. So, so uh, they also noted that. Uh, PlayStation tournaments have involved 30 games uh, with participants from over if 70 countries. Players more won more than five million dollars in prizes, across 8,000 competitions, with 50,000 players winning some form of prize. Uh, this year, it hopes, hopes to uh, host more than 8,000 competitions and currently boasts seven, seven million registered participants. So. That just that's just interesting to me to see like again them leaning into esports more like I will probably not participate in anything like this but like they obviously see the future in this also like the more multi-platform focus that uh, Sony has definitely had over the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it does seem that they are uh, focusing a little bit on that. Um, it's interesting that they, like you mentioned, uh, did. Uh, obtain Evo and this uh, accessibility um, company that I'm I like that uh, I like because that's that is a huge part of the gaming industry maybe not the biggest part in the world but uh, competitive fighting tournaments and stuff a lot of people enjoy those I uh, games like Guilty Gear Strive are big hits uh, games like Dragon Ball Fighter Z um, I'm sure that uh, you know I'm I'm sure that with with that uh that'll just attract a new audience and like allowing allowing people to get into our hobby that normally would not be able to i'm not opposed to that you know there there are some pretty cool people that don't get to hang out here in this space just because of uh physical disabilities cool let, let them have fun <laughs> yeah yeah hopefully uh yeah in every way it will hopefully make uh, these tournaments more accessible but before we switch over to the topic for the day, we have to enter into Tuesday's High Quarter, yeah. which has a, a couple of entries, and I'm going to get my brief one out of the way first. I actually have an entry to the High Quarter, Certainly. which was the announced inscription for, for PlayStation, which is, excitingly, it's going to be coming to consoles for the first time. It was a hit indie... Uh, game that came out last year, I, uh, I believe. I believe published by uh, Devolver. Yes, uh, yes, they did work on that, or at least they published it. Um, the Pony Island guy made it, and uh, oh, it was one of the best indie games last year. <laughs> yeah, really big hit. I one thing I'm definitely looking forward to is that there is going to be. Uh, uh, there, there's going to be some haptic feedback uh, integration in, into it for, uh, for those who don't know, like Inscription is a, a kind of a weird mystery adventure card game set in a uh, uh, a log cabin. Uh, I, I know the people who liked it last year really, really liked it. Uh, 
like this quote from creator Daniel Mullins here at the end of the PlayStation blog. Thank you so much for taking the time out to learn more about Inscription. Can't wait for you to finally play the game on PlayStation. I hope you enjoyed this uh, as much as I enjoyed playing it. That said, Devolver Digital takes no responsibility for any curses invoked. <laughs> uh, Very classy. Yeah, it is. Because it, it is it is a log cabin, but it is of course a, uh, a cursed log cabin. But uh, but that is an appetizer for our the main thing in the hype corner, which we are both very very hyped about. Uh, t- Tuesday, give us the the big news. Finally, we finally finally after about four years have a release date for Bayonetta three. It is coming in October of this year, October twenty eighth, in fact. Uh, we got a fancy dancy new trailer. This is the second trailer, technically third trailer after the uh, teaser reveal. This is the second gameplay trailer that we see. Oh, this is just so oh, so good, so good. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's uh, it's a really nice trailer. It shows off. It once again shows off Bay, uh, Bayonetta's new design. I wasn't wild about it last September when we saw it in the, at the end of the direct. I've come around to it. It's really nice. Uh, we get to see. She does get her uh, new guns that we uh, did see in the uh, trailer back in September, the triple-barreled purple guns. Big fan of that. Uh, we also see that there's another Bayonetta. Uh, fun fact, if you watch uh, the trailer that Nintendo posted with the subtitles, uh, when you see the Bayonetta in what appears to be like red samurai style, um, it actually has Bayonetta with three question marks in parentheses. Uh, so there's definitely some... Uh, multiverse shenanigans happening in here. Um, it's uh, it looks real cool. Uh, the main enemies of the game appear to be uh, man-made bioweapons. Um, for Bayonetta lore, uh, this is kind of the first time that humanity is stepping into the fight, so that seems to be interesting. Uh, the other big reveal is the character of Viola, who uh, is a sword user in contrast to Bayonetta and John, both wielding guns and uh, Umbran magic. Um, she does have a Umbran summon as well, uh, confirmed to be Cheshire, uh, so that's very interesting. Uh, she has a grappling gun, uh, which she either steals from or inherits from Luca. Uh, there is no confirmation on their relation, but it's definitely hinted that they know each other. Um, there's, everyone got a new design. Uh, it's real slick. It's coming this year. Finally. I'm very happy. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this trailer was like sent uh, ripple, ripples and shockwaves of happiness through both of us upon seeing it. Uh, I definitely watched it a few times. You probably watched it a few times. Uh, we have, yeah, the multiverse of Bayonetta's, as far as I can tell, which fits in with, like, the series lore, where in, like, in both of the first two games, like, Bayonetta does some time travel mm-hmm. shenanigans. So, like... Uh, so sure, like multiple bayonetas, multiple universes. Sure, like and also it makes me wonder if like, are we going to encounter like bayonetta from bayonetta one and bayonetta two in this game? Like it's just like hey, if you if you like those designs, like don't worry, maybe they're in here still, and like and maybe the lady who is maybe who is like the English voice of bayonetta, she like it's just like maybe she'll be back to voice those other bayonetas. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> I would think that would be like that perfect. Would... Um, you you do hear uh, the new Bayonetta VA. Uh, I don't know that it's been confirmed yet, but it it does not sound like uh, Helena Carter, is it? Helena Taylor? Yeah, yeah, 
yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah, Helena. Like it, like, like it has the right, you know, authoritative British lady uh, <laughs> tone that you'd want. But I, I do not think it is the same voice. Yeah. I think it is a, a different mm-hmm. actress. Um, so, but yeah, that would kind of be my take. Kind of like how I would think, like if they, if they did a. Oh, like in a theoretical universe where they actually did another Metal Gear Solid game that had like both Big Boss and Solid Snake in it, I would it, like my take would just be like you know hey just bring back David David Hater to to do Solid Snake mm-hmm. uh, and and leave uh, yeah Keith yeah thank you and, and like and keep keep Kiefer as as Big Boss mm-hmm. like you know to just have that contrast there just have it like yeah but anyways. Um, that is what I would do. As you said, every character got a new design. Jean has crazy long hair. Uh, she looks she looks like she just came back from a uh, fr- from like a uh, three week long vacation in Paris. Uh, like, it's one of the things like I can really respect about like every character get, got a re- got got a refresh. Like, uh, like who, who's that? Uh, uh, the the exposition demon guy, like he has a hat. Ronan, yeah, uh, he's got like a, Ronan. he's got a yeah, uh, fedora now and a sweater. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Rodan, like he, he has a sweater. Like all of the characters got a, a slight refresh on their design. And you know what? Like I can respect how in like every game they've decided to take another pass on all the mm-hmm. characters. Uh, because so many games, character designs remain kind of static, and I, and I understand it to a degree. Like you want characters to remain recognizable. Yeah. But like in this, they obviously decided, like you know, hey, time has passed. Like they they they're not wearing the exact same things. Like they they've changed their hair or mm-hmm. whatever. Like you know, which is which is cool. I I like that. I, I can appreciate that. And I was still able to immediately tell who was exactly who. uh like i i feel like any serious bayonetta fan was not going to be making any mistakes over like okay this person uh they, you know this who are they supposed to be again like except for people who are of course brand new like viola right. who is obviously going to be the duo agnest of the mm-hmm. game like they showed gameplay of yes. her so uh yes it even uh she's even got a koi i i believe it to be a teeny tiny easter egg uh uh hint a, a reference to another game that they worked on near Automata. When she throws her sword, it lands kind of in a way that uh, some of the swords have been uh, p- depicted in art in uh, near Automata. But yes, we do see gameplay of her. Um, she does have her sword combat, so it's uh, definitely a different style uh, than other characters in the series. Uh, very cool, though. Very, very interesting. Yeah, she, like her, uh, like her. N- Katana is like a giant Nodachi that's like uh, nearly as tall as she mm-hmm. is, and uh, and yeah, like her as far as her magic, like it's just summoning her giant cat Cheshire. Like it's not the crazy Umbran magic that uh, Jean of Bayonetta wields. So uh, and there's a couple like, and it makes me wonder if like they wanted to have these sections to actually, firstly, like vary up the gameplay a little bit, but like also kind of acknowledging the fact that at this point in time, like you know, Bayonetta has gotten extremely powerful. Yes. So like. Uh, maybe in doing this by like having a like without resetting Bayonetta's character uh, power level, like you bring in another character who can like maybe have a different move set, and maybe you don't have to worry about the power creep affecting them for parts of the mm-hmm. game. Uh, so you know we'll, we'll see how much like uh, Jean is in the game. She totally looks like a uh, Viola is in the game. It's it, uh, well it, Jean as well, but but Viola in particular since she'll be playable. Um, uh, Viola completely looks like a gender flip of, of Virgil. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, to, 
There's also a part in the, in the trailer where, ba- where Bayonetta uh, interacts with the giant magma sp- spider, and she, and she <laughs> uh, he calls her little, and she goes over and knocks on a uh, knock on his head. I'm just like, okay, we're we're just 100 percent making references to Devil May Cry. Oh, absolutely. With, uh, uh, like yep. with Dante, Dante talking to Phantom, like that's like that, that is. Um, we're we're doing karaoke like uh, you you cra- you crazy like who's who's the Akamia? Uh, you're just doing karaoke <laughs> off your own stuff, and I love yeah, it. absolutely. Uh, I it's, I'm a big fan of how Bayonetta is like the mirror version of Devil May Cry. Uh, how like Bayonetta just keeps getting stronger, uh, and now we have like a Virgil analog who is uh, v- versus Virgil in DMC three, who is a definitive threat, very very uh, clearly against Dante. Super strong, super threatening. Viola is seemingly on Bayonetta's side. Definitely not to the same level of power as Bayo is, uh, but definitely that same kind of aesthetic there. Uh, a little bit of uh, Nero in there too. A little bit. I oh, this game looks so stylish. I I know that it is a foregone conclusion at this point that um, uh, Elden Ring will win Game of the Year. Oh, but this is going to be Game of the Year in my heart. <laughs> Well, I mean, the, like, what are those two games you will, you will play this year? <laughs> uh, and it's it's not Elden yeah. Ring, so true, uh, true. But uh, yeah, they're uh, and announcing a- alongside all of this, uh, they 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 had a couple of announcements. Like first for a uh, a limited edition package uh, that is go- going out to certain retailers and also the My Nintendo Store. Uh, called the Bayonetta 3 Trinity Masquerade Edition. Gotta love that. Uh, which has a 300-page art book, three game cases, one for each Bayonetta title uh, that form panoramic artwork. And as well as part of this news, Bayonetta 1 is seeing a physical release for the first time on the Switch. That is part of it. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, yeah, it's uh, very exciting because when that game launched on Switch, it was dis- digital only. Um, it is interesting because when that game launched, uh, it came as a di- uh, as a download code inside the case. Uh, you could flip the artwork uh, so that it was the Bayo One cover. Uh, now you just get full on Bayo One, uh, so that's very cool as well. Uh, Bayo One is I I personally prefer the second game over the first game, but I will never forget the first time I played Bayonetta. Uh, I love Bayonetta. Uh, it's a, it's a fantastic franchise. Every game so far has been amazing. Granted, it's you know, two games hard to hard to beef that, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're uh, like you said. This is only the third game of the franchise in ten years, so uh, it's uh, it it's always felt like ever since the release of the first game the the franchise has always felt like it's on life support mm-hmm. uh to, but but the people who love it like me and two is they really really love yeah. it and uh my only my only regret is that i mean if this was if this was a playstation game then i would i would buy it day one like uh, guaranteed oh absolutely uh, i'm like, buying I'm, it day one no questions <laughs> Uh, I mean, I and I'm not a big uh, day one game purchaser, so uh, particularly not for not for lar- larger titles. They usually come down over time, but yeah, this it looks super cool. All the summons for Bayonetta, she 
they're really leaning into her summoning things, taking control of things. Maybe that's part of the reason why I like you will have Viola because like maybe they Bayonetta will be more the set piece person who like always needs to be summoning stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, which which would again like fit with like the scaling of her power. Uh, but but yeah, like you know Viola, it'll be interesting to see more about her. She like Bayonetta is still as always like too cool, too cool for school. I feel like they emphasize that in, like the final scene where like they, uh, I I think like Viola and Bayonetta appear out of a portal and like and Viola like is like f- fa- you know falling ass over tea kettle like to the ground and is saved at the last minute by Cheshire and then Bayonetta just right right there to like uh to, to roll her eyes and be like ah oh, like. As if I have to say, like you know, you're you're in danger by falling. How cute! Uh, I yeah, I, I but, love uh, that Bayonetta is always this confident, cocky force, uh, never too afraid to make fun of the bad guys. Uh, it again, it's just a mirror of uh, Dante, who also confident and cocky. Uh, but uh, Camille recently confirmed he's laughing because he's terrified all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean that that is that is his take on the character. Uh, like, that's kind of the thing about things things you you don't own. Like, I'm sure. Uh, I mean, he hasn't been involved in the franchise for a while. True, so, true. Uh, but I do I do like that I do like that take. Uh, <laughs> yeah, very ex- exciting news out of Bayonetta Land. Switching over from Bayonetta hype to a. Uh, game that came out directed by a man who briefly worked for Panem. Ha ha ha. Resident Evil 4. Uh, one of the most celebrated video games of all time. I feel like the utterance I hear from so many people like when the recent remake was finally, finally announced years after being rumored and rumored. And wasn't it in that leak of Capcom that like they were working on Resident Evil 4 uh, remake? Uh, like there was a... Uh, like somebody hacked them and leaked their files, and it was it was in there that uh, I forget if it was that or if it was some other rumor that they were working there. On. Uh, there were there have been multiple rumors that they've been working on the four remake. I think in that massive data leak, uh, they had uh, suggested that they were working on a Revelations three for Switch, um, but I don't I don't think that that was in that leak, but. There have been multiple sources saying, yeah, they're working on it, they're working on it, and uh, now we finally know. (laughs) Yeah. So, anyways, it finally got announced. We were talking, like, for a while, me and Tuesday have been been talking about subjects around Resident Evil 4, and I threatened to do a topic on it, like, you know, once this thing was finally announced, and and it was, and... Uh, It is quite simply a topic that is, like, Resident Evil 4 is older than you think. Uh, firstly, in a very literal sense, it has been 17 years since the game came out. Yes, you are old uh, <laughs> if you are listening to this, and if you're if Resident Evil 4 means something to you. Uh, now, uh, I'm going to be talking about the mechanics of the game. Uh, this is my gr- grievance with certain particular mechanics and systems of Resident Evil 4. Uh, I won't get into the story since that's a very subjective topic, but I will just say I don't really care for it much one one way or the other, uh, like most Resident Evil stories of the era, to be frank. Uh, it's just a vehicle for delivering action horror set pieces, in my opinion. Uh, 
I'm also going to be doing a lot of comparisons to The Evil Within, which is in many ways like Resident Evil 4.1. They're both directed by Shinji Mikami, and The Evil Within made several year, was made several years afterwards, so I think the connection is relevant in the comparison. That's fair. That's fair. I, I do feel like uh, The Evil Within is kind of like a combination, in a way, of RE1 and RE4. Uh, in some ways more RE4, in some ways a little bit more RE1, but uh, definitely those two games are heavily influences. Uh, definitely mechanically, it is it is built off of uh, RE4 and uh, to, to say you can of course like what what is your relate relation? I played Resident Evil Four like I think a, like a couple years after it it initially came out. Uh, I um, I had played it many years after it initially came out. <laughs> okay. Um, I played it when I was too young to play it. Uh, I played it on the Nintendo Wii. Um, I got stuck in a certain room, uh, spent about all of summer vacation trying to get through it, and then finally beat the game uh, when school started again. <laughs> which, was this, uh, which grade were you going in? I was a freshman in high school when I, I finally beat Resident Evil 4. Okay. So put it, putting that in, uh, in context. It might not have actually been too far away like i think i played it around 2007 or something like that but yeah like a, a few years after release like anyways and but to convey my experience like my grievances in particular like uh firstly like just in the design like the action button is too general uh, and i'm going to do ascending level of things that that annoy me in the mechanics like this from least to most uh now the the action button is a different particular button on every system, but the general action button for Resident Evil 4 opens doors, picks up items, does a melee attack of a weapon to staggers, uh, and, uh, staggered and close, and does special actions like leaping out of a window. Uh, simply put, this is too general. Uh, and it probably comes from the original GameCube release, which puts a lot of emphasis on the large green A button, uh, very very central to the like. If you don't know what a GameCube controller is like, you know, look, look it up. Uh, but it has a giant green A button that I uh, that I refer referred to as the big green go button. Uh, there were times that like in the game it would just. Um, have things like I would go for a melee attack and like and then Leon would ju would just like pick something off the ground and disrupt me, uh, or like I would uh, go to pick up some gold and like o open a door. Or usually like the most disruptive thing is like trying to attack an enemy enemy, but instead you do some other action because like that's all attached to the to the action button. Uh, in the Evil Within, by contrast, you f you finish off enemies using a match, which is on a different button. Uh, so there isn't the constant conflict with the various button configurations. That is uh, that is something that even in all of the uh, ports that they've made, because they have ported it a whole lot, um, they've never been able yes. to fix it, um, and and that's that's kind of the problem with it is that like it's it's never easy to fix it in that way again because it is just a port. Um, that's probably what the remake will one of the things. One of the two things that I think the remake will have to focus on most is, like, figuring out a new control scheme, because since then, 
Um, this was also before Resident Evil 6, obviously. Uh, both Resident Evil 6 and Resident Evil Revelations are the two mainline games. Uh, I do count Revelations as a mainline game because it fits in between 4 and 5. Um, introduced uh, Walking While Shooting. Um, that is going to be a major control appall. Um, it was something that stuck around from the tank control era. Um, so I think that's something that is going to have to be redone as well, but I, I feel like because, um, I can't remember if in 2 and 3 Remake if there's a dedicated uh, melee button, but I know that uh, with the knife being able to just be quick swiped, uh, it'll probably, it'll probably get a little bit of a change at least. Or, or they'll just take out the knife completely. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that they would do that, but I know that pretty much nobody really used it in 2 to the point because it was a durability system that they were just like, all yeah. right, fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is true. Like, I, I wasn't a huge fan of, of, of fan of using the knife in RE4. Like, it just didn't do enough damage, but I, the solution was just to use something else. But yeah, like, if they added a dedicated melee button or something else, that would definitely improve things. Also, don't don't give away the whole plot when it comes to not being able to uh, move a name at the same time. <laughs> uh, the, though I will say, like you know, going back to like my minor needles with the game, and I will just add, like as a thing, like I acknowledge, like the impact this game had. It certainly had, like if you look at the fidelity of the graphics for games of the time, it was certainly way ahead of the curve, like. Uh, like its influence can't be underestimated, but like again, like my main point is, like here are the things that can certainly be improved because it is kind of an old mm -hmm. game at this point. Uh, and part of it is like uh, to move on to my next point, a noticeable tremor while aiming. Uh, in Resident Evil 4, Leon's hands shake while he's aiming. Well, this doesn't matter hugely with a spread weapon like a shotgun. The pistol, I was constantly lighting up shots, only to have Leon slightly miss due to his jittery hands. Uh, the Evil Within has some slight screen shake when using the scope rifle. Uh, th that's fine. A lot of games do that. I accept that. It's just uh, you didn't experience this by playing the Wii version because uh, because the aiming is different. Mm -hmm. Like you know, you actually just aim at the screen. Like where you are aiming at stays unless like you yourself like have super jittery hands. Oh yeah, um, I, I have uh, played Resident Evil Four on Switch. I actually recently played it this weekend uh, with a mutual friend of ours. Okay. So, um, five did it, six did it, four is absolutely the worst uh, about it. Okay. Uh, Leon needs to take like <laughs> some Xanax, buddy. Why are you so nervous? <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not even like okay. You want to have a little bit like that's fine, but it shouldn't be like. I felt like it was just constantly a thing, particularly in a game where like precision is rewarded like to the point where uh like your pistol has a laser sight so you so you know exactly where your your shot is going ostensibly but uh, uh another minor issue and that is the positioning of the camera namely it is too close this is a subtle thing but while behind the behind the shoulder camera was popularized by Resident Evil 4, to me it is always too close to Leon. I feel like I was constantly getting attacked by enemies that were just outside of the peripheral view of the camera. 
Uh, this is the reason why most games that that ape the behind the shoulder view camera pull it back a little bit more when you're not aiming a weapon, including the evil within. It grants some necessary awareness to enemies coming in on the side. Mm-hmm. I think a, a good uh, comparison point as well is uh, Dead Space 1. Um, Dead Space 1 is, is yes. largely considered Resident Evil 5 but in space. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and actually a horror, horror game. Um, uh, Dead Space uh, also has that kind of very close to the shoulder camera, but it does zoom in a little bit more when uh, you are aiming. So you got that kind of like precision, but uh, yeah, it it does it a little bit better as well because like in that's I think that's also part of the problem with four is that like it does focus a lot more on action horror. So a lot of the times you are surrounded by enemies in Dead Space, which does have the same kind of camera camera system and uh, is maybe is a little bit done better. You're never like entirely surrounded by like six or more necromorphs, and and if you are. It's your fault for not doing anything about it, really. Yeah, yeah there's far more large hordes that you encounter in, in Resident Evil 4, like coming from all directions. But yeah, I, I and I'm glad you bring up Dead Space, since I could honestly make, make the comparison point with Dead Space with a lot of these things, but I'm using the evil yeah. within, because, again, like, the connection of the director, like, the, the settings are also much more comparable, but yes, like, many of the, like, this is basically an upgraded RE4 could also be 100% applied to, uh, uh, to, uh, to Dead Space as well. But moving on to my next point, uh, the uh, the escort quest part of it. A large part of Resident Evil 4 is you are dealing with Ashley being around. She is functionally helpless, and the best you can hope for is that there's a dumpster you can put her in. <laughs> oh, it's so funny because they are dumpsters. And, and I'm not even being che- cheeky there. They're literal dumpsters that you put her in. Uh, when when you don't, she is very vulnerable and has all and it has all the annoying features of an escort quest. Uh, she also has the show cry of Leon, help! It's not quite baby Mario, Mario irritating, but it is pretty irritating. Uh, in the Evil Within, any companions you have aren't so vulnerable. Yeah, I think uh, uh, in the Evil Within, the only kind of compatriots that you ever get are Joseph and. I don't even think you escort uh, Leslie at all. I think whenever you do, it's you're following Leslie instead, and Leslie is outside of the combat area. Um, I don't think there's ever a section that you're working with Kidman directly. Like there's the section where she's yeah. driving the bus, but you're not. You don't have to worry about her health at all. Yeah, yeah, I I believe that is correct. Like there's. Uh, like there's a couple sections with Joseph, but Joseph is not helpless. Like Joseph can actually fight. So, uh, <laughs> it is. It's not. Re- you don't really have to worry about him all that much. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and he's only there for certain limited sections, and he pops up in the game, in and out of the game, seemingly at random, because that is the structure of the evil within. Yeah. Like uh, where, where the. Where one level leading to the other level doesn't matter because you'll get teleported to halfway across the world. Uh, now, uh, for the next one, number f- uh, number four on the list, uh, up- upgrades don't transfer between weapon tiers. In Resident Evil 4, you can upgrade your arsenal, and there are multiple classifications for weapons, including pistol, shotgun, and rifle. However, at certain points, the merchant introduces brand new weapons in those categories. 
it would always make me feel like I was making some sort of mistake or wasting my money by upgrading earlier weapons when something might, new might come around the corner, potentially having to sell them for pennies on the dollar. And the evil within, you only get one weapon in every tier. So there's no worrying that the green brain goo resources might be wasted in upgrading a gun that will soon be replaced. Mm-hmm. This is something in my recent playthrough that I, uh, when the Red 9 became available, uh, having the knowledge that uh, there would not be, um, or that there would be more weapons in the, uh, the same tier, I never upgraded the handgun. Uh, when I got the Blacktail fully upgraded um, because of that, or not fully upgraded, at least partially upgraded due to the Blue Metal quest, I held on to that until the Red 9 became available. I sold that, and then I only put upgrades into the um, Red 9. Uh, same thing I'm doing with mm. the shotgun. I believe that I have the, uh, I think it's Assault Shotgun and then Riot Gun. Or, no, it's Striker and yeah. then Riot Gun. Um, right now I have the Striker. I am not upgrading it until I get the Riot Gun. Um, this is kind of something that Resident Evil has never really figured out how to do. Um I, I will kind of say that it's a little bit better in eight in seven eight and um, Revelations two, uh, Revelations two, um, you do have the multiple weapons, but in the story, uh, you only I believe you only get the one tier of them, and upgrades aren't necessarily built into the game the same way. I think it's more like uh, passive skills that you can buff and stuff like that. Um, as far as that goes. Um, five has the exact same problem, uh, but seven and eight are, I don't believe there are weapons in, or upgrades at all in seven and eight, so that kind of takes care of that problem. It's just, when you find a new weapon, it's guaranteed better. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, like for, for, uh... You're, oh wait! You talked about for uh, for seven and eight. Like I was thinking, I was thinking for six for a second there. Just like you know, there, there's been too many of these different <laughs> games. Uh, I I know in six, like it's mainly not much of an issue because like, you, like every weapon is locked to certain characters, and that game is divided up, uh, divided up into four different character sections. So like, it's not like you control any character for so long, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> or have access to that many weapons, frankly, but. Yeah, that's that is something I've uh, never never liked, and uh, definitely appreciate how people within dealt with it. Now, here's something that I know some people really like, which is the item the item system the, in the attaché case, uh, wherein you have a limited space for uh, for your different items denoted by blocks of space that have to be organized, and like different items, like whether they are guns or grenades or eggs or uh, health sprays or whatever uh, you have to organize them in this little space. I want to say that I have never liked this system since it anticipates time spent organizing the inventory to get the most out of the space that Leon has. Uh, inventory management is among the the least my least favorite tasks in video games and RE4 puts a lot of uh, of necessitated minutiae into it. Uh, in the Evil Within, you have a certain amount of slops for certain consumables and ammo, which you can upgrade over time. It's simple and it's straightforward, uh, and and it works and requires very little minutiae. 
I I do actually like it. I, it's a fun little kind of mini game uh, in in that system, but uh, evidently they were like, yeah, this is too much work for us and too much work for the player. Uh, five did a terrible job at inventory management in that uh, you only have 18 slots total. Oh, that was real bad. Um, but uh, after that, uh, the inventory system of two or of seven was carried over to two, was carried over to three, was carried over to eight, which is uh, you have a certain number of slots, you upgrade that inventory over time. Uh, and it's just, it's, it's a much better system. Uh, and it has been refined a little bit in 7 and 8 in that, like, um, bigger weapons, uh, 2, two, three, seven, and 8, in that bigger weapons do take up multiple slots, but the most a weapon will ever take up is two squares. Um, and because every upgrade, at least in 2 and 3 goes, every uh, space upgrade comes in blocks of 2 or blocks of 4, that's never really a problem. Okay, well, that is good and relieving to hear. Like, I know the attache uh, case was gone after that. I think, again, for your point, that, like, it creates a lot of development complexity along with, like, a lot of player uh, player uh, complexity. And I think they just decided, like, no, nah, we're not, not doing this. Not doing this again. Uh, now, uh, up to number two on this list, and it is quick type events. Uh something that is very much a byproduct of when Resident Evil 4 came out, but there are quick-time events everywhere, many of which are fatal if failed. Uh, there are also sequences of long strings of QTAs which, uh, which change up so you can't learn them. Uh, I remember a late fight against Krauser that I had to do quite a few times just because couldn't anticipate the button presses and I was just, I was just dying. I, I got really irritated uh, during that fight. Uh, I feel like these are the things that are that were never really good. Uh, there are some QTs that have to be done to response to certain things, like being grabbed in the evil within, but no long sequence of QTs. And therefore, via the negative thing of like not having those QT sequences, it is better. Uh, yeah, this is something that the remake will absolutely have to fix. I am hopeful that it won't, or that it will, uh, because two, three, seven, eight do not have QTEs. But oh man, playing playing RE4 this weekend, there are a lot of QTEs. There are too many QTEs. <laughs> uh, I think even I think Capcom even uh, knows in six there were too many QTEs to the point that they have a setting oh, yeah. that turns off all non necessary QTEs, which is like cutscene QTEs, um, like action section QTEs. I think the only QTEs are when you get grabbed now. And there's even, like, a way for that to auto-complete. So, uh, I think that that is a symptom of the time. And uh, as far as I know, I, I am not expecting them to come back. Really hope I'm not wrong. Really hope I am not wrong. <laughs> I mean, I feel like the game is clearly aping the formula established with Resident Evil 2. Uh, the remake of it. So, like... Were there, were there any uh, QTEs in Resident Evil no. 2? Thankfully, there were not. Okay, so I'm expecting exactly that many QTEs. <laughs> like, functionally none. 
uh, cutscenes will be cutscenes. You don't have to worry about scrambling to pick up your controller to like mash A. The the only uh, thing that I would think would maybe break that rule is just because of how famous or infamous the Krauser knife fight is. I because I I don't think they're willing to get rid of that scene, um, but I don't know that they're gonna like just let it like be a scene. You know, that's that would be the thing that would uh, scare me. Just have it be a cutscene, or have it be a real yeah. fight with him. Like, I, like that—that that is the implementation of QTAs that that I dislike. Uh, for reference, like for for me, like QTAs are better when they're like when it's more like a player initiated mm-hmm. thing. Like the God of War series was a good example of that, where it was like, you know, okay, press O and then do something to like kill this enemy in a spectacular way. Like, you know, great, fine. Like that's player initiated. That's that's fine that enhances gameplay it does a particular thing like you know that that is great like though ironically like even for god of war itself it got away from that and it's a more, more recent in, uh, encounter to a degree mm-hmm. but uh, yeah i i would think it would be interesting if there was like a stealth like uh predator kind of stealth mission where you gotta find krauser and like attack him first but i uh, the knife fight is the only thing that would uh give be the hook that there would be qtes i think But now we have number one on this list. It was always going to be this, the inability to move and aim at the same time. Uh, long-time listeners will probably have picked up on this when I've mentioned various things like, uh, like, oh, can you can you move and aim at the same time? Well, then it's better than RE4. Uh, in RE4, when you press the aim button, Leon plants his feet and brings up his weapon. Uh, he, he does not and cannot mo- uh, move and aim at the same time. Uh, it's not even a matter of uh, shooting and moving at the same time. You can't even bring up the reticle while you're moving. This is the thing that feels the most regressive in the design of the game. Uh, and basically every game, including Evil Within, inspired by RE4, has ditched this convention, which was at the time a legacy Resident Evil feature where like you, you, you brought up your weapon and your feet were planted and you would rotate in order to fire at enemies. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is definitely a symptom of, fun fact, that uh, Resident Evil 4 still has tank controls. You just don't notice it because you're like behind the character now. Uh, and, and it's something that, like, games have got a lot better at disguising or actually just outright ditching. But, uh, don't, I don't want to hear anyone say that Resident Evil 4 doesn't have tank controls. It still has tank controls. Um, <laughs> and it's still a symptom of that, in that, like, the game was designed, and I'm willing to be a little bit forgiving for it, because this was the first over-the-camera, or over-the-shoulder camera game, um, that, like, Capcom was like, well, is we're, we're experimenting, uh, we, we don't know if it's going to work out. It ended up working out well for them. They should have fixed it after that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they did They did kind of continue. Like, uh, in RE5, like, I believe it is yep, also RE5 the same thing is, that you uh, can't... plant to shoot, uh, plant to aim. Yeah, yeah, plant, plant to aim, like, the exact same way. And, yeah, that was... 
my main thought like when when playing dead space for the first time when i was just, just like oh this this makes it feel so much better like being able to free aim and move at the same time like uh like any number of games i had played before that that let me uh, aim and shoot and move in the, uh, at the same time but uh, in Resident Evil 4 it is literally impossible and uh, and I realize the game is is designed around that it is designed around like you know you running away then you taking pot shots at a, at a group group of enemies and then running away and so on and so forth but like I I still don't like those conventions I still don't like that you know you it's like either move or use gun like uh, you can like you can do one of those things. You cannot do both of those things at the same time. Like it, I I I never I never ever like that. Uh, and I feel like if people have like overly fond memories of Res- Resident Evil Four, but haven't played it in years, I feel like that's the number one thing that will throw them. Uh, if if they played it now, it'd be like you know what do yeah, I have to like I can't move and shoot and it's just like yeah you can't move and shoot it was always this way. <laughs> uh, now for uh, Resident Evil like two three on like you, you can you can move and shoot right yes. like that's that's not yes an issue. Uh, specifically focusing okay. on two and three uh, because they do use the over the shoulder camera you can move and shoot mm. uh, it is you can't run and shoot um, but that that's kind of predictable um because you're focusing you know uh realistically uh you should never be running and shooting uh because a that's a gigantic friggin gun hazard b your aim is going to be messed up to all hell um and it's it's i i do like that approach to it you can move and shoot uh it's mostly useful to uh kind of pace backwards while shooting especially in two when you're facing off against a liquor if you have to fight a liquor um I think the smart thing that 2 and 3 do, though, is that, um, specifically 2, is that they actually disincentivize combat to the point that if you're shooting, you better be moving because you effed up and their zombies do not go down easy. Like, I I don't think that there is any way, whereas in the classic Resident Evil 2, you can kill every single enemy in the game as long as you are smart about using your resources, using your timing, uh, all of that. I do not believe it is possible to kill every single enemy in Resident Evil 2 without the infinite ammo weapon. I, I believe there are a couple in that game. Wow. Yeah. It's, I, it is straight up not possible. The best strategy that I have seen used for Resident Evil 2, uh, the remake, is shoot the legs and run away. <laughs> wow. That's, that's interesting. Well, that it sounds... Uh much more cl- uh, classic survival horror right there, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, uh, anecdotally, um, there there was a channel that I like to watch uh, talking about comparing uh, Resident Evil 2 Remake to um, Last of Us. And uh, the person said, when I was watching my uh, significant other play this game, uh, it felt like Last of Us was giving us a Christmas feast of bullets, whereas in Resident Evil 2, we were always kind of <laughs> spare on, we were, we were always kind of holding out on getting a new bullet. One bullet felt like a lot in that game, and it's not like it's not like <laughs> Evil Within, Evil Within, where like combat is incentivized, um, and and yeah. like in in certain cases forced, um, but like you're you you see a full container of ammo with bullets dripping out of it, and it's like two bullets. Yeah, yeah. The uh, and obviously like for the the Evil Within like. 
you can you can move and shoot at the same time. It is it is not a problem. Like uh, now, I'm obviously not gonna. When it comes to the story of the evil within, like I was, as I said, I was like this story is is kind of whatever nonsense. You're in a nightmare realm or something. Uh, so. So that is something else. Like the story is actually the hardest part to compare between Resident Evil Four and the Evil Within. Yeah. Uh, just because they're because uh, as wacky as Resident Evil Four go- goes, like it is, it uh, at least feels uh, tethered within its own reality, where then like the evil, the evil within, like is is bouncing off of the walls, mm-hmm. like depending on where you're at. Like you could you could be next to a European castle, and the next the next level, like you're in a you're in a foundry or something like that. Uh, like it's. Uh, it's it's whatever, but anyways, that's a sign, and that is why Resident Evil Four is honestly older than you think. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, as far as upcoming stuff, I will just say in general, like things we'd like to talk about, like will be like uh, reflecting on fifteen years of Bioshock, uh, the influence of that game. Uh, the and five years after the uh, this will happen se- September probably, but uh, five years after the launch of Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite, which was uh, such a debacle. Like talking about the the marketing for that. Also want to talk about the uh, some media influences for us, and also potentially continue with our uh, Tomb Raider series, talking about the second game that was put out by Crystal Dynamics uh, in a Tomb Raider anniversary, which was actually a remake of the first Tomb Raider. Dinosaur and all. Dinosaur and all, yes. But, again, I'll emphasize, like, thank you, Cinco Red 42, Patreon at patreon.com slash SMGP. Thank you all for listening, and hopefully we will see you all next time. Until then...